Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello and welcome to Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benno. And I'm JP. I'm back by popular demand. It's uh, it's the boss, it's Grapple Gareth. <laughs> You're right, Gareth. All right, not, not too sure about that, but uh, yeah, I'm back anyway. Yeah, there were some brave reviews for you on Twitter last week. I saw, I saw a couple of them. Well, you know, it's always, uh, always nice to read, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sneaking in, st- stealing Joe's job. It's not just because we couldn't arrange uh, a time to get Steph on this week. It's it's nothing to do with that at all, Gareth. No. We really we did, want to, we did want you to come no, back. A, yeah, yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely not the last resort who's uh, on <laughs> I was there, ready and able to fill in, but uh, yeah, no, I'll get, I'll give it another go. <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, like I say, we were planning on having Steph on this week, but she'll be on with us uh, with UJP for a, a special episode. You'll be uh, be talking about a little bit later at the end uh, mm. of the week. But uh, how are we anyway, guys? How's things? You had a had a good week since last week. I did uh, did note that uh, you know the Premier League ended on Sunday, and uh, one of us did a little bit better than the other two in the uh, the old fancy football. I don't know if you want to chat about that football mm-hmm. in general. You have a good weekend, lads. Mm-hmm. I had a good weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've just you've just spoiled my week again with that one. <laughs> I'm not used to losing fantasy leagues, and like that's absolutely just flawed me. I'm absolutely good with that. But there's a great there's a great big asterisk next to it, Benno, because because uh, of that free free round of transfers that everybody got when uh, when they came back after the break. So it's. It's one of those default wins that, I don't know, people have been trying to levy at Liverpool and things <laughs> like that. You can, you can, you can take your asterisks. Wow. In fantasy league terms, it's, it's restarting football manager. That's what it kind of felt like with the unlimited transfer. You know this isn't real deep down. You know you've had to cheat to get there. You'll pretend publicly, but deep down inside you, you restarted that game. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, I really, I, the games were terrible. But I really you don't make enjoyed, the rules, Ben. But I really enjoyed like these these last few weeks of like compressed like Premier League. Like it was it was fun. Like I, I, again, the matches themselves were terrible, but the fact that there was like a game week every couple of weeks. Uh, I'm gonna. I know there's only a month now, but before the footy comes back again, but I think I'm gonna miss it. I don't know. You can, mate. There's like Champions League next week. Is that fucking hell? I didn't even realize. There that. is. It's all taking place in Lisbon. Uh, They're all no, going to I've Lisbon. Got no fancy team on the line there, JP. So I don't really care. Oh, okay. I mean, it's something, isn't it? It's it's just like well, it's like sports all around the world. Mm. And it was fascinating listening to um, Voice of Wrestling this week talk about baseball. And there's various things where I think there's a couple of players who've caught it. And as I know, there's a couple of players who are very outspoken at the moment about the risks they're taking. Um, but in terms of the football, like, it, I don't know. I'm an Arsenal fan. I've got a different perspective to this. I'm either preparing for sort of the crowning moment of like, Project Arteta, or it's going to be Baku all over again, and that was an absolute fucking nightmare. And probably our best players leaving and all the rest of it. 
while there's players that I'd really love to leave sat on the most gigantic contracts <laughs> that to this day, I have no idea how they got them. Ivan Gazidis, oh, if, honestly, I just want to see him, like, under interrogation. Because the shit he's done. And he's doing it to Milan as well. I think they've gone to shit in the meantime. He's a terrible, terrible chief executive. No one else is interested in this, sorry. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. So, but watching Arsenal to everyone else seems like fucking, it's, it's a thrill ride, isn't it? Basically. We'll beat Man City. We'll beat Liverpool somehow. God knows how that happened. Then we'll lose to Villa. And then we'll be 3-0 up at Watford and we'll do our best to throw it away. <laughs> like, absolutely try. It's like, we're box office, if nothing else. Stuff happens. Well, it's, it's like um, when I was watching New Japan the other week, wasn't it? And I said to you how Alex came in the room and he was like, oh, Bullet Club, but are they popular then? And I was like, yeah, they, they were. He was like, are they good? Are they entertaining? I was like... Mm, they were, and he was like, mm. so, 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 so they're the Arsenal of the wrestling world then. And I was just like, oh, a dagger in JP's heart. There. <laughs> he's not wrong. That's that's worse. Is the sense of perspective? He, he's what nine? Mm. Like yeah. the sense of perspective comp- that what he's got now compared to something I've never got with this, and I've convinced myself of otherwise. Yeah, it's it's not happening. It's like I'm waiting for some sort of. Arsenal's four pillars to come through, possibly in the form of Saka, Martinelli, Kieran Tierney, and um, oh, who would the other sort of four sort of young William Saliba, the centre half coming in? They'd be the four pillars with a Bama Yang as Baba. That's what. <laughs> that's in my head what I've got down there. What was that? What was the the, uh, the image you sent you sent in the group chat this week? Was that an Arsenal player on like Instagram Live or something? I didn't get what that was. I'll go into it in the what we've been watching, but it was Shitaro Oshino. Okay, who I'll be talking about in all Japan. Where an he Arsenal happens kit. to be an Arsenal. He's got two Arsenal flags. I honestly thought that was an Arsenal player. I thought it was one of you young boys. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it all makes sense. You were. I was thinking I'll try and get the show show images issue. To oh, try right. and kind of get a little bit of speed. Mm. So I thought, well, that's a silly enough one. Mm. Me asking Shatara Shino about who should play in goal for the cup final between Martinez and Leno. He's responded positively to comments I've made. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I'll explain it later. Oh, fair enough. Fair. I, I, I'm not bothered about the football anyway. I'm, I'm a timber sports guy these days anyway. Um, <laughs> I've heard that. I, I, don't, I don't understand that? what that is. I was like, I was flicking through the channels uh, like the other night and I just saw on free sports that it was like La Liga highlights and I thought, oh, well, I'll catch up on the final week or whatever kind of thing and turned on. And there's just these like Austrian blokes and like Czech blokes with fucking massive chainsaws and axes and things like that, just like chopping bits of wood. And there was a crowd there that was, you know, God, there was, there must've been like 500 people there in this tiny venue and they were going fucking nuts for it. They were going insane for it. And like after my initial tweet of like, what the fuck am I watching kind of thing, then I don't know, it just I sort of became slowly transfixed with it and just I ended up watching it for a good half hour or so kind of thing. And there's like all different disciplines. There's the power ones, there's the speed ones, there's the technical ones. It was like having like Vader and Rey Mysterio and Bret Hart or something like that equivalent and all these uh, different things there. I was thinking, I was thinking there could be a fucking app in this. Say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, what it gets five stars in the timber cutting world? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at him with that chain store. Full, full five stars. <laughs> Chainsaw feels like cheating. It doesn't feel like it's what, you know, sort of woodcutting should be. Oh, the size of these pieces of wood, though, JP. Oh. 
Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm a purist at heart when it comes to this because I because unfortunately because of that thread I ended up watching a bit myself with a bloke running around a kind of course doing it which might be one of the speed ones he fucked up a few times I couldn't see quite clearly what he was fucking up on but there was like an audible kind of groan of disappointment I thought, all right um, and he was just running around cutting stuff um, if he could go wrong I mean a more exciting version is you put four pints in the mix and then like. <laughs> You've raised the stakes, haven't you, at that stage? Get the um, baboons involved. Did you see the, the like Joe Rogan this oh. week on his podcast? He was he was literally talking about Nosley Safari Park, Gareth, which is literally where my dad works. It's like the, it's our local <laughs> safari park, and there's been stories of the baboons arming themselves with knives, and allegedly one of them having a chainsaw. My dad couldn't confirm or deny the chainsaw, but that was literally like the New York Post posted it as a story oh. about our fucking safari park up in Nosley. So don't know, get those lads involved. Benno. Confirm or deny always sounds like confirm to me. But it really does. <laughs> My inside I cannot source. confirm or deny. It's like you can't deny. A baboon with a chainsaw at 2020 kind of sums it up, isn't it? If that's where we're at. That's, that's I wouldn't the blame them. That's the avenue road. Would, would you blame them for starting some sort of Planet of the Apes style like rebellion? <laughs> Fuck it. Their time to shine. Go for it. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. You uh, ape uh, overlord. (laughs) I'm just thinking about how I used to get like wrestler versus bear. You could have here like woodcutter versus uh, baboon, both with a chainsaw or something like that. There's there you go. This is a this is getting better and better. (laughs) They they drugged the bears, didn't they? And then shaved off their fingernails and stuff. Is that how they did it? yeah, it never looked Otherwise, that exciting from the little clips you'd see. It'd just be like well, you'd have a little roll around, and it was like if you were there, you'd be gutted, wouldn't you? You're like I'm gonna go see a bear wrestle, and then it's just kind of like wrestles no. in it, man. Those bears had no work right? So that was it. Tracy Smothers was was it Tracy Smothers versus a bear? I'm sure. I'm sure Tracy Smothers wrestled a bear. I, d- yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you don't do those things, isn't it effectively the Revenant? Isn't that what you're going to watch? Where he just like. I mean, I'd admire the bravery um, mm. about how to kind of tackle a grizzly bear head on. Um, yeah, I don't know why. I'm, yeah, that was pretty brutal in The Revenant, which, you know, I do like as a film and have watched with the lads this summer. And I was just like, how did they do it? And I was like, to be honest, that looks like nothing else other than a man having a shit beaten out of him by a, by a, um, a bear. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a mockery of the whole, yeah, no animals were harmed in the making of this type thing. Uh, yeah. I don't know how we got onto this. Uh, oh, oh, <laughs> have you been up to much otherwise than, than watching uh, these niche sports? Uh, have you all been out in your masks? I, I, went to, um, oh, yeah. I went to Tesco this week and just on my lunch like, like I normally would the day and I was halfway through my shop before I realised, shit, I haven't got a mask on. Uh, I, I, as soon as I realised, I felt like the worst piece of shit. Like I was walking around and people were giving me dirty looks, and I was like, you know what? I deserve these dirty looks because I've completely forgotten. I've done it. I went and got a coffee from Costa and did the same thing as well. I'm the worst. I'm. I'm trying though. I'm trying to. Uh... It's probably the time to invest in a decent one at this point because mm. I've been kind of one. going. Get, with... get like a lucha mask. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a gold dust mask that I suppose, in theory, I could go out. It doesn't actually cover the mouth or the nose. I mean, that's probably overboard if I wore a gold dust mask with another mask over the top of it. That's going in the show image. <laughs> and part of the problem is that every time, and I don't know if anyone else feels like this. Any time I go in there with a mask, 
and I'm quite often listening to Spotify, mm. depending on that soundtrack, I feel like I'm about to rob the place <laughs> or it's just going to kick <laughs> off. And I've got my get out. Um, although they'll probably wonder who's the bloke in the snake Pliskin t-shirt running out at top speed out of Sainsbury's. But <laughs> But wear your mask, for God's sakes, Ben. Oh, no, Carry I know, I'm bad. I'm sorry. I actually I went to a pub this week as well, like on Friday. Mm. I got a, we, It was a nice day, and I got kicked out of work early because we had no fucking work to do, um, which is kind of going to happen after the pandemic. But we were um, we were sitting at the park drinking beers, and somebody had the bright idea of, as it was getting dark, oh, should we go to the pub down the road? And it was literally the first time I've done that. I don't know, you know, I... I just wasn't comfortable like it was mm-hmm. i went thinking this is a really good idea and then as soon as we got in it was like we're distanced from everyone else but like we're all like crouched together on this table and i was like ah that doesn't feel great like if i've got mm. coronavirus at the end of this week i'm not going to be shocked um standards are slipping i think this was the uh the albert on lark lane just a place for you gareth uh, where i went uh, after trying to go to another pub over the road where they were just like ah just come in grab a table do what you want and we literally went in and sat on a table <laughs> And it turned out that whoever was sat there had gone to the toilet and they came back. And we just dirtied up their entire table. So, yeah, hy- hygiene standards in, uh, in Liverpool are, uh, don't seem the best with the pub. In- I, think oh. I, I think I'm just going to stick to me Friday games night and go in the park. I don't. I think the pub's a step too far for me right now. I feel really guilty about my uh, my weekend escapades. I, I went to the pub, um, when was it? Oh, earlier in the week. Mm. And it was just basically because I was out on my walk and I just, I, I, I was quite close. And there's um, a place that has had a beer garden. I went, oh, fuck it. I'll sit here and have a pint. Mm. Um, and it was quite nice and quite dignified, but it was a much more, it was just empty. There was like no one else around. And I thought, I could get used to this, but this is terrible for the industry. <laughs> just like, if you're relying on me, you're fucking Is done. this the EDL put by you that you won't let me go to? No, no. This is this is a bit further away. On my walks, I've done. I found many kind of little hidden pubs around the place. It's been quite fun. I've not gone to them, but I've just sort of noted them and said, "Oh yeah, I can do this." Um, you'd have liked it. It was like kind of nice craft beers, a nice pale ale. I don't know any of the names, some shit like that. But it was, uh, yeah, it was all good fun. And you went the other week, didn't you, Gareth? Yeah, yeah, we uh, managed to get out about a couple of weeks ago, and then this. Um... This weekend, um, Sarah's mum and dad had the kids for the first time, so we got another like two consecutive weeks in a row where we got like a Saturday to just go and just sit and have a beer outside in the sun. It was uh, fucking very, very nice, very, very much appreciated. Until I realised that the beer I was drinking was out of date when I was uh, on the bottle stuff there, clearly, tr- clearly trying to uh, just uh, yeah. sneak that one through the net and get it, get rid of as much of that as I possibly can on the on, on the slide. But you know exactly who can who can blame them sat on all that stock and yeah. uh, people are going to notice. It's like from beer idiots like me. It's like when like I remember this in the early two thousands when like McDonald's was the only place that was open late night after a night out, and I always felt like all the food that was about to go off they just used that for like the three a.m. like drunken kids who've gone there after a night in the crazy house or something, and you'd get like. You'd order a burger and you'd get like a triple without even ordering it and there'd just be three burger thing, burgers on it because it was just like, I'll just get rid of the shit. The drunk ones will have it. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> I think you're going to get a lot of that uh, post-lockdown. Yeah, there's going to be... Uh, do you know what? You can't blame them. But there mm. are people who are absolutely desperate, who are desperate for those pubs to uh, to open. Mm. And all the statue things started to die down around the same time, really, didn't it? Quite heavily. <laughs> so you do wonder if there is a coincidence in that. 
just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> the Weatherspoon's opening has uh, led to a, a reduced uh, gammon count. Is that what you're saying, JP? <laughs> They're all hidden away. Well, certainly, you know, I'd like to think pissing on memorials has gone down by quite appreciably in that time since the pubs have reopened. Mm. Uh, keeps them busy. I remember Joe saying that football was a public service. You do wonder if that's kind of been the case. It just keeps people entertained. Mm. I mean, and there's always the the whole woodcutting thing to fall back on, really, <laughs> isn't it? Which seems like it's growth, really. There's, there's a lot in there. Until we run out of wood, of course, and then, you know, so maybe there isn't the kind of legs in that sport might, like you might think. <laughs> then they're holding all of these in the fucking Amazon, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't even know where we were going. Sorry. There, <laughs> we'll, so so sorry. We'll start our woodcutting podcast at, uh, at some point in the future, but for now we are here to talk about wrestling. Uh, we've got loads of stuff to uh, to catch up on today. We're going to talk AEW. Going to talk some New Japan uh, and see if our uh, our evil predictions are uh, paid off or not. Um, JP's been watching some old Japan as well, some GCW too. Uh, plenty to chat. Uh, should we start with AEW? I feel like we've been neglecting AEW lately. We've uh, we planned to talk it like the last two weeks in a row, and it's kind of just mm. slipped, hasn't it, from the uh, from the talking points. But I've got to say, like I AEW this last week. I know by the time this goes out, it's going to be Wednesday morning, so we probably won't spend too much time on last week's TV and maybe talk a bit more about the company as a whole. But like. Last week's TV put me in such a good mood. Like, honest to God, like that that first hour was as good a first hour of TV as I think I've seen, especially in the pandemic era. But the whole Eddie Kingston, like, segment, like, we've got to start there. I was, I've got to be honest, like, I, I haven't had the best few weeks and I haven't been in the best frame of mind, like, morning-wise. And I, I just got up in the, early in the morning and saw my Twitter feed and saw that people were raving about Eddie Kingston. So I literally sat there and watched the first hour of AEW before work and genuinely, like, put me in the best mood for the day I've been in in a while. Like, I was, like, mm. I was just so happy for, for Eddie Kingston especially. I know um, who's getting the, the chance this week. It's um, Dan Warhorse. Warhorse, isn't it? Yeah, I get that. I always get them two mixed up. Um, but yeah, like that. Seeing someone like that get his opportunity, and seeing someone like that cut the promo that he cut, and mm. you know the match was was fine too. It was a good match. Gave it three point seven five on grapple. I actually think I'm I'm lower than the average even on grapple for that. But it was the whole presentation that I enjoyed. I absolutely, just mm. it was just the the best opening to the show and the best. I just walked out of that the best mood. It was like when. There aren't many like people in wrestling. I feel like I come back right now, but I feel like I come back Eddie Kingston. And yeah, I was just yeah, just delighted for that how that whole segment went and uh, that this uh, this Cody Open challenge has uh, has led to something great like that. This is what you wanted the Open Challenge to kind of be, mm. wasn't it? When when they were kind of booking it of actually making it a bit more interesting, getting people in. And I think we've said before that one of the areas where they're kind of deficient is a kind of brawler hard man they've got lots of big giants at this stage mm. and they've got lots of kind of workers but there's an authenticity about eddie kingston that absolutely shines from the moment he comes out and he just starts cutting the promo mm. you are engaged and you're there the way he was working the way he was the way he was selling it he was selling it like someone who is beaten up and being beaten down and but he's not going to show it it was that kind of selling that you you really like, where it's just like he's selling, but at the same time, he's not selling it. And it just worked perfectly for the character because everything felt 
real mm. and organic and different from a lot of other stuff. And you can position a character like that pretty much how you want them because it's authentic. And that's how this came across. And, you know, as someone who, you know, had to sell his wrestling boots, I think over this time period as well, um, he's someone who kind of works and this is the best presentation of him and any ideas about like his physique or his body. I think that, that enhances who he is Mm. because I'll be honest with you. I think that kind of Vince McMahon view of how wrestlers should look is something that I I like to see going further and further away Mm. because this is someone I can believe in. I can't believe in a bodybuilder. Sorry. I, I like, it's not for me. Whereas this guy, like, the entire story is there, the entire authenticity, and he can fucking wrestle, mm. and he can do loads of fun stuff. And I and I can imagine Moxley saying, "Right, get me in there with him on an episode of Dynamite. We'll just have a kind of wild match." You can imagine people saying, like Jericho, thinking, "God, you could cut some really good promos with this mm. guy. He just seems to bring so much." And I know they've brought in a lot of people already, but this is something they can get real value out of. Yeah, I don't know. If you, I don't know how you watch that. Both the promo, the match, and I don't know if you saw it, Gareth, the, the promo they put on Twitter, like after the match where he was talking about how gutted he was to lose and how this was his opportunity and he had literal tears in his eyes. Like, I did note that I saw like Cody retweet that and like the fanboy in me was like, come on, let's let's hope that Cody, he's made a fan of Cody and he's made a fan of, of uh, the people backstage and he's got to get himself a job. Like, yeah, I just feel like after that, I'm, I feel like the... The, the campaign to get him a job, uh, hire Eddie Hingston is quieting down a bit, but I really hope that behind the scenes, uh, Big Tone's signing him to a, to a big money deal. Uh, it was great to see. I'd, I don't know how they couldn't or how anyone in the back couldn't get behind him after that because it mm. was like, if you think about TV promos over the last like five years or whatever like that, how many of them have been genuinely memorable and things. But I think, you know, you talk to somebody in a year's time, t- two years' time, remember when Eddie Kingston showed up on AW? You're going to remember it, you know, you're going you're, you're to absolutely remember that promo. And then mm-hmm. you're probably going to think about the match as well and remember that the match was pretty good and think about the details and things that were, were in there as well. I think, you know, when you look at people who are likely to have an element of influence in the back as well like your, your JRs and people like that who are going to be in Tony Khan's ear like to him there he's seen good promo like a guy who looks like he could generally go out and just like fight somebody and win kind of thing mm-hmm. probably which falls back on his Bill Watts sensibilities and things like that the selling was absolutely awesome it was, it was like classic real wrestler stuff not, none yeah. of this kind of modern day play wrestling you know it was like plucking a top guy out of the 80s or something like that out of the territories or something like that and mm-hmm. landing him in there like on tv and him just it's been like he's had all these years of experience behind him to just shine when the moment sort of hit him you know you know came to him and like fucking hell did he shine like i i, I you know i probably enjoyed that as much as anything i've ever seen eddie kingston do to be fair like mm. and you could tell like the, the, like you said, the old school guys, I love it because you could tell Arn Anderson cut a promo as well afterwards. Yeah. Where you could tell he was just like, just wait a second, we need to talk about this Eddie Kingston. And he was saying about how he'd never seen him before and then, you know, how impressed he was. You know, he loved it. Like when Eddie, you said about the, the promo being memorable, Gareth, like when he the line was something like, like on my mother's eyes, I will gouge your eyes out, Arn Anderson. <laughs> and it was like, I will remember that forever. It was fucking, and you could tell Arn Anderson fucking loved that. He was like, there we are. We've got a proper wrestler here. Like, so yeah. fucking great. Um, yeah, that's the... You're never seeing that on Raw, you know? You're not seeing Eddie Kingston uh, uh, turn yeah. up. Um, 
yeah, and I really, I really hope if there's any justice, like there's a, there's a job coming for him there. Um, but yeah, I thought that was great. I thought the MJF promo segment afterwards was great. Like it was like I've I've been like on modern TV, and then there was a Britt Baker segment as well where she cut a great promo, and then there was a great Taz promo as well. Like these back to back promos, like I don't think there's been anything like it on TV recently. I was so hyped up after this, even to go into work and work on some fucking spreadsheets. I was hyped up. <laughs> it got, I was like, I can't, I can't understate how good a mood I was in until it got to about three o'clock and the the coffee had bore out. But wow, it was fucking great. Well, I mean, I, I looked at my watch and like 45 minutes had gone and we'd had the, mm. the Eddie Kingston one. There was, there was the Moxley did a good one. Even oh, yeah. I think it was yeah. like a backstage. Yeah. or, or sec- Then there was the, the MGF one. There was a Britt Baker. There was Taz. And then Jericho just sneaked in in the 45-minute mark. And it was all <laughs> different types of promo in different settings with different objectives. And what's that? There's like seven promos there kind of thing. And they were all good. They were all people who can speak really well. They were, like I say, they were, they were for different purposes, different settings. And I was just like, this is amazing. It was just like that whole, what you love about wrestling, gen- building characters kind of thing, building, giving you a reason to get behind or dislike mm-hmm. these people by them talking and them talking like real people. It not been some like over-scripted bollocks or, you know, some pre-rehearsed thing where it's words coming out of the mouth that they're never going to say. It was just, to, to me, I was just like reveling in it because as, as, as much as, you know, as much as, you love matches and things like that. Like it's this side mm-hmm. of things that makes that's that that's the cut apart, especially when it's like TV that you're watching as well. It, it's all about the characters and all about the promos, really. You know that you that, that that leads up to those matches that you're going to get further down the line. And God, are they knocking out of the park? And then I think even after that 45 minutes mark, you had the um, Jake Roberts and Lance Archer did one as well again. That was very different again, kind of thing. And it was <laughs> yeah. like. Fucking hell, like this, they've just got this constant stream of people who can talk in different ways and like, oh, loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. That's a, that's a point, isn't it? I was scared, JP, like when AW started, that they were going to lean too mm. much into like that. You know, that classic online fan complaint of there's not enough wrestling on Raw. There's not enough matches. It's like, no, mate, Raw's three hours long and there's a fucking lot of wrestling and it's all cookie cutter and terrible and i don't want to see necessarily i mean i want to see when it's a great match like you know, the young boss match that's on this show but i don't want to see wrestling for the sake of wrestling i want to see mm. i want to see character stuff i want to see like like that taz promo where you know he's, he's like he's putting over cage losing so we didn't get a chance to talk the moxley match last week did we um the, the moxley match and kind of like They've done such a great job with 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 Brian Cage. Like it's for someone I'm not even yeah. that interested in. Like the way they protected them last week when it came to the the finish of the match and having Taz throw the towel in, and then this week with Taz outright taking the blame for it in that in that great promo. Like that's the kind of stuff I want to be wrestling. That's the kind of stuff that just yeah, it just works. And like Taz was so great for his part, and yeah, Cage is is so well protected by it as well. And it all it took was a was a money promo. Absolutely. And I think this is kind of goes down to how we've talked. I remember talking kind of turn of the year structurally. It's a mess of a show. Mm. There's a structure. There's a direction. There is someone who's kind of saying yay or nay. But also, and it kind of ties in what you guys have said about the kind of purpose of this, that what they're managing to do. And you talk about it there with the kind of you get Brian Cage. You get Taz as a believable, credible figurehead. And I've also watched a bit of Dark. And on commentary, he stays true to the character whilst at the same time being a commentator that doesn't take it away. Mm. And there's an element of everyone knows everyone knows their roles, but you can see there they're weaving in 
Moxley and Cage putting Ricky Starts in there, who's good, needs that bit of TV time. And I think he'll be someone who kind of gets a bit of buzz behind him. Put Allen in there and you're teasing, you're going to have a friendship there, but obviously it's going to lead to Moxley Allen, probably as a kind of a series over time with different kind of heel face dynamics and stuff like that. And that's good storytelling is they're using it to weave in and out and no one kind of loses anything. And the, the promos themselves, they're short. They're not over long. They don't overstay their welcome. They're not just saying nothing. It's almost like all the stuff that they talk about in the promo classes, they're actually doing mm. right. You've got 90 seconds and you need to get this over. You need to get your character over. You need to get what's going to happen next. And they do it and they give them the freedom to do it. And they know what the kind of key hit points are. Um, so the characters themselves are becoming established. We've all had doubt over the TV ratings necessarily, but I think there is a general upward trend that this is worth following because the stories are engaging. And that's what I'm finding. Mm. It's something that when it's on, there's normally that kind of a bit of initial buzz and you think, oh, it's worth tuning in to see what happened. Mm. And then before you know it, you watch it. And then you find that nothing's bad or anything mm. kind of actively bad really doesn't last very long. So the kind of hit ratio is there. And it's just this clear common sense booking that is the complete antithesis of what WWE are doing. And their ratings are something to get seriously alarmed about. They're overall for week three, for our, it only came out while we were recording, but like hour three eroded something like 1.4 million. Like apparently. Less than a million soon. Apparently that book's um, Butcher and the Blade match did more than a million, like as a segment on its own. Like that, Mm. you know, like we're not, we're not talking that far away from each other, really. That's, that's absolutely crazy, isn't it? And yeah, I don't know. What are you going to say, Gareth? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say. I was just going to say. It's just not surprising though either, kind of thing. Especially when you know you talk about the different ways in which things are presented, and you know you look at those Wednesday night ratings, and I think it was the first week when it was the Great American Bash went like head to head with Fighter Fest, and I was putting both things up on the on the app at the same time, so I just had both screens on, kind of like watching both, and it was just amazing how one show just looked so dull and just looked so dark and just not much going on about it, and then the other one. Um, the AW show just looked so vibrant and just exciting and young and like you're thinking if you were somebody here just like flicking through the channels and you were like flicking back and forth between those just on aesthetics alone you're going to sort of side with AW there and then when if they're then leading you into a program that's got you know better matches or it's got better promos it's got character you know bigger characters and things like that then naturally they're gonna they're, they're, they're gonna stick and like I, I i don't personally don't see any reason why nxt could ever catch aw from this point onwards to be honest unless there's a yeah. significant change which 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 i can't see happening i think they threw everything at them to beat them for that great american bash week and to mm. You know, AW didn't have a good a good few weeks with the ratings, and I I always say JP like I'll be on this podcast moaning about people putting a lot of stock in like you know differences of tens of thousands of viewers and like how many people were there with the ratings box in that box in the house is that really? But I would say to your point, Gareth, like I think the way I, I maybe it maybe it's bias here, but the way I read AW murdering NXT this week, it is that it's that consistent quality over the last few weeks. While NXT got their their little couple of wins there, the overwhelming quality of AEW with the fight for the fallen weeks and the fight of first week, and then the and then well the other way around, and then into like this incredible week last week. Like I just think that's paying off. I think it's the it's not so much what's on the show at that given time. 
it's it's people kind of uh, it, it's, it's them riding the high i suppose of a, of a well-built show that people are coming back to because they feel like they're going to be rewarded like I, th- I i think that's how you read like you know the the maybe you'd call it a blip on aw side uh with the nxt wednesday night war and then coming in and just beat was it like 800 something thousand to 600 something thousand this week mm. like, i i really do think that's their their investments and the overall quality week to week paying off and the fact that yeah nxt threw everything at the wall for one week and now well for two weeks and it's now like okay now what with nxt now what have they actually got to to, to draw people in to, to do even do that again and um, I think, sorry, go on, JP. I was going to say something that you had said quite a while ago. The sacri- they basically have sacrificed NXT for this. Yeah, That's what they've sacrificed for this because there's nothing now. If you're talking Keith Lee, Ke- Kevin Cross as like a big match, Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. Mm. It feels like they burnt through everything at record speed and lights the other stuff with the aesthetic as well. It feels like it's kind of irreparably damaged. It certainly isn't cool, which is what it had for that for a short period of time. But they've kind of drilled it out to hurt AEW. And I think this always comes back to the bigger point of they've just not kept an eye on their own house. Mm. What they've what they've done with AEW is just it's provided a distraction of like, right, we're in a war with these people. Except this time they can't claim to be plucky underdog. Mm. And the problem is with it is they're writing bad television. No one's listening to it. It's like it's the usual stuff of the audience of one um, that we talk about. And it's kind of getting to that point where it doesn't feel like NXT is redeemable. And all I can see is them putting people from the main roster back there. But it's not they're not going to have they don't actually make that much of a difference. And the engaged audience is AW. I believe 100,000 people will buy all will buy all out. Is it all out or all in? I <laughs> all forget. Out. All, all out. out. Okay. You get super people... JP. Be careful. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for um, for them, they're going to get hundred thousand people. They're engaged with it, and they're engaged with the stories. And a WWE, you can just see there's a point where people are just like, "Why are they invested in it?" And it just goes down and down. And as soon as the sports come back, I just can't help but feel they are absolutely fucked especially on mondays especially when football is back i think my biggest worry on that one is is that's sometimes when we've seen aw's figures fall when there has been something going on like mm. in the in the world in the outer world be it you know from a entertainment standpoint or a news standpoint or something like that when there are something big that demographic that are buying into aw that's where we've sit we've seen things decline whereas nxt with that older audience they have kind of like managed to maintain you know maintain something and that's when the weeks have been been a bit closer and things because these are just people who are just habitually just it's what i do on a wednesday i tune in and i watch to watch this product in the same way that you've got that call with with raw and smackdown but i mean the, the point i was going to make previous to that really was obviously you mentioned that, that there jp about um, sort of NXT blowing through things. And I think that's another one of the positives of, of AEW is that, that they, they haven't done that and, as well. And you look and, like, obviously I'm going through this as well as watching it on a week-by-week basis. I'm kind of putting all the stuff in spreadsheets as well. So I almost kind of feel closer to on a match-by-match basis who's appearing and who's not and things. And you're not getting the young book 
Impact every single week. You're not getting Kenny Omega wrestling every single week, Hangman every single week, etc. The, the the stars at the bigger end, you know, you might get a promo one week, they wrestle a match the next, they're maybe not on the show at all the next, then they do a little something the week after, a little angle or something, then there's another match and things, and they're spacing things out, whereas I think probably from a WWE point of view, we've just become so accustomed to person X takes on person Y this Monday, and then the following Monday they wrestle again, and person Y beats person X, which means that the following week they wrestle each other again, and then they have the pay-per-view at the end of the month that blows it all off. And before you know it, they've taken each other on four times in four weeks. You've seen the biggest stars every single week wrestling against each other, and and like kind of there you go, clicky fingers, and it's gone. I just feel like one of the strengths with AW is that they've just managed to like really hold back on so much, so many things. Like one of the examples I always think is like Santana and Ortiz. They've been there, they've been involved, they've been with Jericho, doing bits and bobs, they've had some matches, and obviously a lot of angles, been involved in promos and things. But they haven't even, it doesn't feel to me like they've even touched the tag division yet. And we're knocking on for 12, you know, we're, we're knocking on for 12 months, kind of, really. So they've still got a further down the line, a, a shot of the tag belts in them kind of thing that they can build. And it's, you know, it's something that's new and fresh. And again, there's so many elements to that. Obviously, the way Kenny Omega has been booked, I know it's not ideal what people would want and um, certain things in certain ways. I've got some other thoughts on that. But again, that's something that he's been steered away from the title picture. It's not just ramming it down your throat and putting all these big matches on at once and trying to do it all within a one-month, two-month period kind of thing. They're, they're spacing things out. They're thinking long-term. And that keeps you engaged as well because you're waiting to see these things happen. You're waiting to see these characters, um, characters develop and, you know, I think that longevity and long-term thinking and booking, like you know, that's what serious wrestling fans want, really, isn't it? You know, you want you want that thought and that logic and planning and storytelling to go behind what you do, and I think that's what they do well. They also understand they're a TV company, and when you're describing that, if you're doing like a big, I don't know, Game of Thrones-style drama for HBO, you need to have a kind of storybook where you say these are where the seasons are going, and you're thinking long-term down the road. And we've spoken about New Japan booking doing that. Oh, I suspect possibly not this week. <laughs> but um, but that idea that you are planting the seeds for stuff and you're invested because you want to see that blow off, but you want to see it done in the best way possible so it has the ultimate meaning and impact to it. And that's what they're doing. And it feels like the point where at some stage I can just see there being a Cody, FTR, and I don't know who else in a kind of – four horsemen style group at some stages heels and they lay certain seeds of stuff but we're not we know that we shouldn't be seeing anything like that for a year year and a half two years and we're fine with that because we know at some stage we're going to get that reward and that payoff and that's what makes you want to invest there's no reason to invest in wwe yeah. I mean, if they, uh, if Vince was booking AEW, they'd have done what every single possible combination of that top order. Kenny Omega would have been champion and would have turned heel already, and it would have been just fucking insane. But this is like, and I think it's all that fact at that point where they decided that everything goes through big tone, and at that stage, everything is out of focus, and there's been a filter necessarily. And the good thing is, the person who takes on that kind of role at like Vince McMahon, isn't absolutely mental like Vince. <laughs> That's a massive benefit. <laughs> oh, don't help. I mean, I think I think as well. Just 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 to pick on other, one other point, and I think it's the it's the it's the creation of stars as well. And and this was something that I was looking at and thinking about quite a lot because. Um, 
just thinking about Jericho and the people that he's worked with a, a, a along the way and how giving he's been kind of thing in that process. And if you think about the best utilization of pr the biggest star in the company, you know, like I was like looking back through some things and, you know, one of the early dynamites, you had the match with Darby Allen where his hands were taped and he had a really good match and it really, you know, th that mm. with the, the live crowd that went over really well, made Scorpio Sky look like a star in an early dynamite. Like Jungle Boy did a 10 minute challenge with him. And that was something that, again, just helped get him recognized, know people who we are, elevate him. He's obviously done all the sugar dunk and stuff off his own back, you know, getting what is essentially a, a, a job guy over, give him a bit of personality, give him a bit of, you know, screen time. You know, the Orange Cassidy stuff recently, you know, Sammy Guevara as part of his group. And you just take there the amount of people that, who to the mainstream audience were unknowns basically kind of thing and jericho has just been so given across the board there that i think all of those you'd have to say yeah they've all got a significantly higher level of standing within the within the wrestling business as a result of what's happened to them in the last 12 months and i think i think like jericho's a jericho's a major part in it and you know i, I mentioned to you benno that like i was kind of almost like comparing it with with triple h for example where i think one of the big problems in wwe is Obviously, people talk about they haven't created stars. They haven't got people that, that are, feel like stars that have come through at the top level. They've certainly got a quality and caliber of wrestlers in there who should be big stars, but just the the way that they've the way that they've booked them and things meant that it hasn't been the case. But obviously, it was like Triple H's birthday this week, and I seen how old he was, and I was thinking, Christ, he's only like a year older than Jericho. And then I thought, who's he? But who's, who's Triple H been wrestling in the last few years? And I looked back, and it was like. Two matches last year, Batista and Orton. Four matches the year before, Cena, Undertaker, Kane and Undertaker. And then he had that tag match at WrestleMania. The year before that, a match with Rollins, literally one match and a, a, another tag. The year before that, it was like the, the Shield stuff. Like you're going back like half a decade and more there. And essentially at the same age as Jericho, he's just working with the top guys because he just that's where he sees himself. And I know you've raised it plenty of times, Benno, is the whole I'm dad and, you know, the, you know, the point photos with all the NXT guys and things like that. Like if he really was this person in this position as developing the next stars as supposedly he is, and people view him as that based on his role with the NXT, like he could and should have been working with these guys and just giving them some element of like giving them some element of a star making quality, you know, given that, you don't, you know, giving them the rub kind of thing. You know, if you think about the guys who've come through NXT, you know, even people like Sami Zayn or, you know, Andrade Almas and people like right down to people like Cedric Alexander or Alistair Black, people like that. These could have all been, had some element of working with someone of the level of Triple H where they'd feel like bigger stars and they'd be pushed up there. But no, instead they're just like these small people who get pointed at by this big bloke in a suit with a beard kind of thing. And like, yeah, you know, you know, that's basically what it is. These are, these are my people. These are who I, I developed. I'm, I'm here with all your top indie guys. Well, well fucking, you could have been doing something about it. And then, you know, you, you reap what you sow. And unfortunately uh, they've got, a, <laughs> they've got what they've got on the back of it because there is literally no stars and, 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 and he's a big factor in it. I, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It's been like, been like that for what, 20 years. Like with him, like, yeah, I think I think the, a big part of it, it's ego, and we've talked about it before, haven't we? But like, for Triple H, he should his ego gets in the way because he has, like you say, he has to be dad. The NXT guys, he puts them over to an extent, but he's always just that level above. He's always been like that with his promos. And Jericho, don't get me wrong, like Jericho is egotistical in his own way. 
Like, if you listen to his podcast, you can't help but come out with that. But I think it's because because Jericho cares about this company getting off the ground, and he mm. clearly cares about getting other people over. I feel like his ego is actually wrapped up in doing that, in being the guy that does that, being the guy who, like, on last week's show was in a, you know, a bit of a throwaway tag, but in a tag with Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus where he's selling for the two of them, you know? Like, that, that's where, like, Jericho's ego comes mm. in, where he wants to, he wants to be that guy, doesn't he? Where he's, like, pulling people up rather than, than, than keeping people down. Joe? Uh, Joe? Jo? JP? I always called you Triple H. <laughs> Freud, Freudian <laughs> <laughs> Um... <laughs> I, yeah, completely agree. I also think as as well, like you say, it's it, it, an element of this is he's motivated by a desire to prove WWE wrong. Yeah, that's it. And he's actually utilising it in the best possible way of, I will show you the kind of star that I am because I know how to put people over whilst not losing anything myself and everyone is raised around them. Like, he does that and he's incorporated himself into it. And even when he's on commentary, even when he's on commentary, which he uh, like as part of his shtick, he just knows how to str- that line of he's true to his his character and his kind of arrogance, and whilst simultaneously making sure that they're getting over. Yeah. Even like if the camera swings past Sugar Dunkerton, he's like Pineapple Pete. I hate him. <laughs> have to do that stuff. Yeah. But you know what? In a very practical sense, it's the kind of stuff that's that's kind of meant that character meaning something, and it, it's just like the consistency of throughout it, and he's just clearly motivated by a desire of someone who is the same age as him basically and actually going do you know what like it could be the point where the kind of nxt becomes such a money loser for them that why do they even bother with this kind of stuff and if things go with fox the way it possibly could go or usa like there are outs to these kind of deals it's something that i've kind of been on about from the very very beginning Whereas for AEW, I imagine TNT look at this and go, actually, this is a product we can kind of get behind. Hmm. And even Sunny Kiss, which at the very start of it, wouldn't have meant anything. Those vignettes with Janela, I was laughing and going, do you know what? This is is really fun. Hmm. And then the match with Cody wasn't necessarily great, but it was absolutely fine. Hmm. Like, he's someone where... Yep, exactly. And it's just the consistency of that kind of stuff that, that's delivered and it's worth investing and you're watching characters grow before your eyes. Mm. On the um, on the Jericho age front, Gareth, like, I, honestly, like, I, I saw, actually saw coincidentally somebody posted like an image on Twitter today of like the difference what Jericho looked like at the end of his WWE run and what he looked like now. He looks younger now. He looks like it's like, because <laughs> he just seems like full of life and excited and he's like... He's putting more into his gear and what he looks like. He looks better now, but yeah, I love stuff like that. Another thing I saw today was that apparently Dolph Ziggler is he's 40, isn't he? And that would make him the same age as Kurt Hennig when he was in the West Texas Rednecks. Like, time is a fucked up thing. I love stuff like that. (laughs) But yeah, Triple H and Jericho now being older than Hogan was when he had like that mid-2000s Mr. America run. Like, stuff like that. But you wouldn't think that with Jericho, though, would you? You'd never think he was was older than that. Oh, of course. Absolutely not. You know, like I thought those guys were at that time you know i thought they were as as old as anything kind of thing and yeah. like you just don't look at you don't look at you know we think about the likes of like roddy piper and things like that at the even when he's like end of his wwe run before he went to wcw he just felt like the oldest man alive to me but he's like well younger than jericho and things obviously Arn anderson's obviously the classic one isn't it kind of thing of like looking 50 throughout his whole career and things but like 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> who'd have thought? You know, you get you get somebody who's had like thirty years in the business, and you just give him a bit of free reign to do what he wants, and you know, like speak what he wants, say what he wants. He, he kind of knows what he's doing, doesn't he? So yeah, surprise, surprise, surprise. As opposed to needing some twenty-three-year-old writer to put words in his mouth. Who'd have thought? Same, same thing with Jim Ross. Mm. Jim Ross it sounds genuinely enthused, and I he's don't know. Been okay, I, the last I, few weeks, you know, like I give him a lot of pelters, JP, but I think he's been all right. I haven't really minded his commentary for the last little while. Maybe it's just me, and I've got no kind of insight into it. But he seems like he's actually in a much happier place, mm. and I think he gets the idea that he enjoys turning up. And obviously, he's had a fair amount of tragedy over the last few years, but. I think might have been writing the book kind of helped the support he's had from AEW kind of getting over the kind of tricky starts and he's becoming, it's like he's got the characters through commentating on the show. It's taken him a while, but he's there. He kind of gets the purpose of everyone. No better than orange Cassidy or um, Jurassic express, you know, that kind of stuff, which he would have been absolutely like he gets Marco's stunt and what his value is to an act like that. He gets it. He gets it. He gets the silliness along you, with the other stuff. Did you hear him on that podcast with Taz where they were just burying NXT? Where they were like, why would you even watch that over this? It's terrible. And Taz was like, yep, I'm a ho-. Excalibur was just sat there awkwardly and like, wow, guys, fucking hell. Like, you can tell he's into it, isn't he? He's loving it. Yeah. Oh. He is. Good. And they treated him like shit, that company as well. Mm. So like, like, and that's the other, I think that's the other part of this is there's that kind of real motivation, I think, from a lot of people outside of WWE to kind of really make a success and a go of things. And you're kind of even seeing that in Impact. Mm. Hopefully you'll see it in the, in the ring because that's the thing that we haven't quite seen yet. But that level of motivation is, is good and it's quite powerful. Mm. I'm really intrigued to see how this like passes on to the next generation of wrestlers as well, because you've had so many people who they've they've left the WWC system in the last few years, and like a lot of their motivation has just been like, look, I just I, I just want to wrestle, or I want to create my own characters myself. I want to you know put words in my own mouth. I want to do my own thing based on my own experience. And and what you're finding is like lots of examples of people who were. The WWE isn't the be all and end all. And, you know, somebody who is, I don't know, 14, 15 year old now who's grown up and looking at getting in the, the wrestling business. New Japan's been more accessible to them than it's ever been. AEW's there as an alternative. They're seen through all different streaming services and things, all the different places that you can work. And some people can make decent money at Impact and ROH and things like that as well. And hopefully you're not going to have this. The next, Hopefully the next generation of people aren't going to be people who are just marks for that WWE at the top of the contract. You know, the people who are going to like place more value in themselves and what they can do. And they're not just going to immediately run for, run, run for those three letters. And, you know, and I think... Um, I mean, there's so many examples where, you know, the likes of Gianna Perazzo and things like that that we were talking about last week as well, they're showing that, you know, okay, it's one week, it's two weeks, but there is an alternative out there and, you you know, you can do things rather than being stuck working on a dark match or stuck in the Largo loop or, you know, having people feed you terrible lines that you've got to try and say and look like the least cool person alive saying them and things like that as well. So, you know, here, here to it all. That's what I say anyway. Um, I was going to say one other thing on um, AW's TV last week. What did you think of um, Sammy Guevara coming back? Like, I didn't have a problem with it. I felt like he paid his penance for you know what he did. Mm. He was suspended for a month and he was away for a month. Like, the only thing I didn't like, I didn't like doing it as a surprise. It made for a good wrestling angle, but I kind of feel like with the sensitivity of the situation, you might just want to go. Sammy Guevara's suspension is over. He's going to be on Dynamite next week. Um, don't get me wrong it was a good angle but 
I don't know. Did you guys have any problem with him coming back or the, the way they brought him back? I suppose the way he brought him back, I kind of generally agree with you on that. However, in terms of what he did and what he was then made to do and the fact that he's going to be like, people are going to be on the lookout for this. And obviously he likes vlogging and the rest of it. So it, it's the kind of thing he's going to have to take on board. Hmm. I'm kind of fine with it. Uh, I mean, in terms of allegations, the stuff about Justin Roberts seems a lot, lot more troubling, and he's still around. And it's never been addressed. You just, They've never brought it up. It, it doesn't really, yeah. So, like, it's very hard to know what to kind of like, kind of make of it because it, it just seems to have kind of disappeared. But in terms of Sammy Guevara, I would like. I kind of think, okay, that's a suspension without pay for a month. Like, you know. At, at the same time, that that's that's something that he's done now, and he's kind of back, and I, I think that's going to be the case. But people are going to be keeping an eye on him. Exactly, that's it. He's he's had some form of punishment. It's been acknowledged. It's on his record almost now. You know, is yeah. you know, if you think about you know strikes against you kind of thing. You know, people. You know, he, mm. he he can't make a you know can't make any more fuck ups. He's got to show that he's like learned from his lesson and, and and develop and make positive changes. And hopefully, you know, hopefully he will. Yeah, yeah. And I think the big thing for me is that you know she didn't have to, but Sasha Banks seemed to not so much accept his apology, kind of acknowledge his apology. Um, I'm yeah. happy with the resolution of it and. For me, that's the main thing. Um, but yeah, I think it's yep. it's probably it probably was the uh, it's the right time to bring him back. Maybe with some little reservation from me on uh, on how they did it. Um, I was yep. going to say as well on AEW before we do move on. I know um, you were saying Gareth, there's a couple of things you've noted uh, on the app uh, from AEW with regards uh, one Kenny Omega. Yeah, I mean, again, this is another one as I'm sat here with. Uh all this data at my fingertips and I, uh, I can't resist kind of just sitting and uh, you're like getting, get, get, getting stuck into it and looking at different things. And, and I think Joe one of the giving things... us this, you know, with this, what, this what you're <laughs> Stato stuff. Well, I can give you a film references and um, <laughs> yeah. you know, soap opera analogies if you want, but unfortunately Joe's the king of, uh, king of that. Definitely a better man than me to deliver, uh, deliver that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if it's numbers and spreadsheets you want, then definitely a guy for the, <laughs> definitely a guy for that one. But I think one of the big things that you see online is, and one of the criticisms I think you see levied at AW is the kind of position of Kenny Omega so far and people definitely talking about, okay, well, you know, he's, he's, he's not the Kenny Omega that we saw in New Japan and he's not having the same level of matches and he's not having the same quality of, you know, quality of performances that, that are out there. People want to see him pushed as this leading, um, you know, main eventer who's having the best matches on the card. And I was, I was kind of like digging into his numbers and just, just having a look at some of his, you know, some of his different things over the, over the last few years. And like, I was pulling out matches where people had had like 4.75 ratings or higher and I was looking at Omega, and and he'd he'd had six matches in the last four years that were were, were four point seven five or higher, and like four of them were with Akada, and one of those was with Naito, one of those was with Ishii. Um, I was you know looking across the board. Akada's got seven of, of the. There's only nineteen matches that have actually had an average of four point seven five or higher. Like Akada's got seven of them, and then when you look at some of the other, you've got like Naito in there. You've got Ishii in there twice you've got Ibushi in there three times and it's like 
you've kind of got those five people who are absolutely dominating like half of all matches who that have received a 4.75 or higher and it got me thinking about like omega in AEW and thinking well well where are these matches going to come from then because it's almost like you've got this lightning in a bottle clearly with him and okada where they just mesh and you know four of the greatest matches of all time basically according to ratings on on, on grapple of them clashing and I was sort of I was looking down the AW roster and I was thinking, where is this level of match gonna come from? And I was thinking Pac was maybe mm. one. I know they've, yeah, they've had a match that was it was like me, I think it was on the app, it's you know, it's a, it's you know, I don't know, four point four, four point three or something like that, reasonably good. Mm. I was looking beyond that and thinking, I mean, he's worked Phoenix so far, he was like maybe someone else who like potentially there, but Beyond that, I was really struggling to think of anybody at a main event level who is going to have that type of performance with because, you know, he's not doing that with Jericho. I don't think he's doing that with Moxley. Mm-hmm. I don't think Cody Rhodes is ever getting to that level. And 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 that just felt like a real – it was almost like a bit of an anomaly in that it's, it's what something people want. They want seven-star Kenny Omega. Um, but I just don't even think it's achievable at, at, at the moment. And, and until – maybe some of these people who are younger on the roster or some new people join the roster. I just don't think you're getting that. And it, it kind of almost felt wise to me to to actually have him in a position where he is now because the best match that there's been in AEW was the tag match that, you know, people say was, you know, potentially one of the greatest matches of all all time. That's, you know, that's certainly the best match he's had, he's had in the company. But I don't know if you've got any thoughts on, I don't know, where, where, can, Kenny, where can Kenny go with that to go to the top? The only one that immediately comes to mind, and I've said it a few times, is Phoenix, depending on how you kind of position him. You'd have to do I a lot there's... of rehabbing, though, wouldn't you? Because, like, Phoenix and Penta have yeah. kind of been... They're just a lower-card tag team, aren't they? They've it... not really been given any real spotlight as individuals. Mm. Yeah, and it's a problem because it depends what they would have done with Death, Triangle, and Pack as well. I agree with Pack. There are... Oh, it's Yeah, it becomes very difficult in terms of kind of single stars of who he could work with. Because you'd think if someone like Walter was around, that that definitely could be someone who who had kind of maybe that match and that different dynamic. It's very difficult, um, and it's yeah, it's 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 in that company. In a sense, it was always the problem of when they started. If they started six months sooner, there would have been perhaps a lot more independent talent out there. So they kind of came just after that last big wave of signings. Mm. And I think that's part of the problem is that WWE was a guaranteed thing. They didn't have a deal with TNT. And regardless of plans and what and everything that had been rumored at the time, it wasn't a living, it wasn't an entity. So they had to kind of go with the thing that's most common sense. And now obviously it's a different landscape. So it does make you wonder what happens in a couple of years if mm they are the viable entity. And, and my God, a couple of years in wrestling could be mean an absolute hell of a lot. And maybe that would be the case. So yeah, I kind of agree. Maybe in the tag division, it's there. I mean, him and page eventually it's asking a lot of page, yeah. but it's I can like, see like a big grudge story match. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like a storytelling yeah. type of match. That's it. You're more sucked in by the storytelling than the actual kind of like, is this an, unbelievable match yeah 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 it's difficult i think you've made the best i think the best case is phoenix like you said jp like that 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 is a guy in ring i think could hang with kenny to to that extent 
But yeah, you raise a good point, Gary. I think Pac, obviously, with that great singles match on Dynamite this year, if they did something on pay-per-view, maybe there's something there. I want to say Pentagon, but I'm not sure their all-in match was particularly great. Um, yeah, I think if anything, you'd have to almost be bringing in people from outside, wouldn't you? It'd be like, you know, if they managed in a dream world, you know, like you said there, to get like a Kota Ibushi in, or to get in, you know, although he's persona non grata right now, we might talk about it later, Will Ospreay, you know, that's the type of... Mm-hmm caliber of opponent you would need for that um yeah i think that to be honest i mean that is like criticism you hear bandy around with kenny um but i'd say like the part where maybe i i think i'd still subscribe to though is more the, the character side of kenny though because i think even though maybe he can't be having these like killer five six star matches or whatever you know Meltzer with his broken scale um the person of the opinion of one person is not as uh, as good as the opinion of many that you get on grapple um as, as uh, we'll give those matches just throw that in for you gareth while you're on the line um, <laughs> like although you might not get that it doesn't necessarily mean though we should be getting what we have got with kenny which is i've enjoyed the big tag matches i've enjoyed it when he's gone in there and got and i had a go with a pack but I don't know, they're maybe they're not taking himself too seriously stuff. The the BTE stuff that's kind of slipped into Dynamite more than a couple of times, you know, using his stupid broom weapon, all of that stuff. And they, to be to be fair to them, they're kind of playing that off as a story right now, aren't they? That seems to be the mm-hmm. direction they're going. They're kind of teasing, you know, the whole heel turn thing with, uh, you know, with uh, last week of him, um, you know, beating up uh, Marco Stunt after the, uh, the match with... Uh, with those guys um, after the bell and kind of showing more of like a heelish tendency. I don't know if they're just trolling us and like they've read that same feedback that we're talking about and just kind of trying to make light of it. And in the end, Kenny's going to be the good guy. Maybe Hangman is eventually the one who turns on him or, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a false flag. But for me, that I, I, if I was them, I'd go full force with it because I think that is the problem with me with Kenny. He doesn't carry himself like a star on TV most of the time. And the pro- I think a lot of that is that he's got a lot of power over what he does, and he hasn't got somebody reining him in and going, "Ah, Kenny, that man," kind of doing a like a jokey match or giving this jobber too much offense, or you know, just kind of maybe not taking yourself too seriously. Maybe you need to like you know, yeah, be a bit more professional. Maybe you need to be a bit more serious. Maybe as the kind of the gimmick is going right now you need to be more that cleaner side i think that's maybe what yeah. i want to draw out of them more and that's where to be honest if if we're not getting the the five star matches like I, I would still like in an ideal world and i know Meltzer's talked about the fact that it's going to be next year which is kenny's year in aw i would rather see kenny at the top of the card as a big heel working yeah. big matches with wrestlers who aren't quite there yet but he's the big bad and i know jericho's kind of sat in that spot so it's it's been hard to pull off but i kind of feel like now you could do that and he could be that guy who's working with the younger wrestlers and having okay we're not talking five star matches but 3.75 four star dynamite main events that's kind of the kenny omega i want to see and maybe the kenny omega i've been a, a bit impatient waiting for and maybe maybe the right to be patient but i think AEW have been a lot more patient with uh with waiting to pull the trigger on you want to see that heightened arrogance from him. Mm. And that heightened arrogance is probably going to result in better matches. And when you just said him being the cleaner, that's all I could think throughout when you were talking. It's just like him as the cleaner, the best bout machine going out there. It's like, I am the best wrestler. And that was the thing that kind of got him over as a face anyway. Mm. So like in a sense, it's the best version of him that we've kind of seen. And he might 
obviously he'll want to tweak it and do various things with that because he's Kenny Omega. But you can do that and still hold true to that character. But that's that for me is the kind of kind of like the apex of him at that stage, isn't it? Of like this kind of you understood the character at that stage, and you think of that you think of that Carter series on there, and it's, it is just. I mean, for me, it's still like the kind of most mind blowing series. I don't know. Tanahashi Okada is the only other one I ever think of between the two, but that's the only hope of kind of getting to it is him more or less playing off the fact that he's had these amazing matches in the past and he's easily better than everyone else there. That's the Kenny Omega that works as a character. Uh, any other thoughts on that or, or AEW in general before we move on? Uh, everyone one, re- this week's show. one really quick one. I've been keeping an eye on AEW Dark as something to just dip course, in and yeah. out of. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. Oh, it's an interest to me. When did Thingy join Cage? Um, what's his name from NWA? Ricky, Ricky, Ricky Stark. Yeah, what happened there? I, think... I had no idea what was going on when he turned up on Dynamite. Yeah, dear, that that was a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Where um, you're now the dark that. correspondent, JP? That's what you are. Oh fuck off! Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be watching every. There's like about twelve matches on there. Yeah. But this week they've got Santana Ortiz versus Private Party versus SCU. I think mm. as like their main event for it. And do you know what it does? It just is somewhere for the undercard to go and trying to develop characters. And I was thinking one of the the examples of this is kind of like the Dark Order, which, to be honest, it's not like I love the Dark Order or anything, but I don't entirely dislike it, which considering where I was on them at the very start of it, that's a hell of an achievement in and of itself. Like the fact that they've actually bothered to give explanations for who the members are now at this point. If you think at the beginning, they just turn up with a whole group of people. Mm. At least there's a reason for them to be there. Like at least they give a reason to kind of um, to have on dark as well at, at the same time. And they've got like a team that's Brandon Cutler and um, oh, what's his name? Peter Avalon. Mm. And their whole gimmick is that neither of them have won a match in AEW. So they're teaming up and they're still not winning. Fine. Sugar Dunkerton's actually got a similar gim- gimmick as well, kind of building up to when he has his first w- win where it, where it'll mean something. Mm. And I'm, I do believe that they'll kind of, pay it off whilst at the same time they're doing a bit of scouting they're getting work for those younger wrestlers they're putting them in there with good experienced hands a lot of the time like there's people like there's a guy called um i want to say he's called will hobbs and he is an absolute fucking unit absolute unit like he really and it's a place for them to kind of work and learn while they're there it also seems to be a reward for them working for AEW during this time period and it's like it can be quite a bloated show, but just dipping and out. If you fancy watching a squash match mm. involving Lance Archer beating the shit out of Sean Dean, it's perfectly fine. That's the thing. If it was like half an hour or forty minutes with like three mm. matches, I think I'd still watch it. It's the it's during like lockdown. Like some of the tapings have had like thirteen matches on or something. It's yeah. That's, that's where you lose me, to be honest. Although I can see the point. It gives people like that an opportunity, doesn't it? It exists to exist, and it it's there as giving people something to do, whilst also giving them a storyline reason and footage for stuff that happens from dark as well that they can always refer to. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it can work in that way, and they'll always need a they need like a kind of substantial presence on YouTube mm-hmm. if they're ever looking to monetize it. Because you look at the WWE are the only people who can really monetize wrestling through YouTube for the most part, and this for them is is a presence of it. Could it be better? Yeah, absolutely. But in some ways, it is what it needs to be. 
which is primarily squash matches and new talent. And it only takes one or two of them to break out and mean something. And you've got something there. Yeah, it's WCW Pro or WWE Superstars, isn't it, from back in the day when we were kids? It's it's something that's there. It's, it's you know, just a... A short, you know, short squash matches, and I think one of the one of the things they like when you say about the different the different people who are involved there, like um, obviously you're referencing like Peter Avalon and um, you know Sugar Dunkerton and things like that, like the old WCW fan in me kind of thing. It just reminds me of watching like at National Pro and seeing these guys like Reno Riggins or Pez Watley or things like that. Oh that yeah, see, like they become even though they lost every week, they become names and they become characters to you, and they almost had they almost Buddy had Landell. Birth. The yeah, you know, they had, an, they had an element of worth to them kind of thing because because you knew who they were and okay, it was a two-minute squash match, but there was still that element of entertainment there. And I think they've kind of, I think they've captured that and recreated it, mm. you know, recreated it a little bit with, with, with some of the, these guys as well. It's not like you're just beating, you know, random random bloke on dark kind of thing. You know, there's, like you say, there's the little story interweaved there behind who these people are. And yeah, they lose all the time and things like that. But there's, there's, there's stuff going on, which uh, which 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 I love as well. God, I sound like the biggest AW mark under the sun this yeah. last hour. <laughs> you know, you know we haven't heard much on is that um, third show we had planned. Uh, I don't think it, remember they were saying mm. it was going to be on TV. I don't think it was dark that they were going to repurpose. I think that was going to no. stay the same. I'm guessing just the, the pandemic put an end to that. But yeah, I've not even seen any news about that in a while. I can imagine at some point, it might be for the fall season. You've mm. got to remember that we're just in summer oh, yeah. and the likelihood is that you want to debut TV for the fall. So there might be more announcements for that if... in the summer. Possibly, possibly the kind of thing you'd announce at All Out. Hmm. True. Got it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if that's like a documentary series or something, I'm into it. I just don't need mm-hmm. another. I don't, do I need another wrestling TV show movie? Like we wrote about Slammiversary last week, and I, I know you guys did, but I didn't even get into watching Impact this week because there's just there's too much out there. Do I need a second AEW TV to watch as well? I suppose it depends what they do with it. Um... A grown-up BTE, like you say, a kind of yeah. documentary about that, or like the road something that's stuff. not a. Or something that's just not aimed at us. Mm. A show that's effectively there for kids yeah. and daytime TV. Oh, and it's an hour-long kind of recap with a few promos and you just cleverly kind of put it together as something that you can put on TV during the day. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Oh, well, well, there you go. We did our AW roundup. We've been trying to get to it for like three weeks, JP. We got there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we did. Uh, but moving on to another promotion uh, that we talked about last week, and glad you're back, Garrett, to, uh, to pay off our uh, our discussion about whether uh, this evil Hiromu match at New Japan Sengoku uh, was going to be a Sengoku Lord, was going to be, you know, it's going to be the proven ground for evil, and it's going to confirm or, or deny our suspicions we talked about last week. Um, yeah, there's only really three main matches to talk about on this show, but got to start here. It was fine. <laughs> like, kind of, <laughs> like, um, I didn't actually, I didn't get out of bed until I was out Friday, like I said, so I was a bit, a bit hungover. I completely forgot that, that New Japan was even on. Um, barely managed to order myself a KFC from Uber Eats and, uh, and make myself human in the uh, the early afternoon on uh, on Saturday, but I did manage to at least watch the the main event live and did watch that uh, that Evil Hiromu match and I gave it three and a half on Grapple. The average is a bit higher than me at three point eight two, but you know what I mean for a New Japan main event. Like I'm not saying I didn't like it. I enjoyed Hiromu. Like I thought he was. Very good fighting from underneath, and I thought he brought a bit of passion to the match that 
the evil doesn't appear to have in his repertoire. Um, and it was fine. The finishing sequence was pretty fucking awful. You kind of you're at a point with evil's matches where you're just waiting for that interference to happen to to even be inv- invested. You've got fucking Dick Togo on the outside, basically doing a Gado impression, except the fact he's in a really nice suit. Um, yeah, a lot going on there, but kind of just the match I expected, really. I'm not saying three and a half stars is a bad match by any means, but... And, you know, I suppose you've got the fact that you're trying to get a heel over in an era where the fans can't even boo, so maybe the atmosphere drags it a little bit as well. But it just wasn't... It was just a match, wasn't it? But well, at least that's my take on it. I don't know if you guys are any any higher on it or any more uh, convinced by old uh, old evil. I went three point two five on this one because oh, I wow. kind of really hated the finish. It felt really flat, and like you, I enjoyed Hiromu. Mm. It was him that I'm kind of invested in him, and long term he is the kind of prospect. But there's just the kind of parallels between this and the Jay White turn and what they're doing. It feels like it's just built up to Naito gets it back. So it kind of makes it resemble the Naito reign when he kind of won it and lost it back to Okada. And then that was to really set him up for the kind of longer meaningful story, which it seems that's what, what it's doing. So it's there to kind of kill time. Um, But like you think of IWGP title matches and they tend to have, I mean, there's lots of components to them, but generally, on the in a generalised way, you have the kind of storyline drama, the great wrestling, and the character motivation. Mm. I get the storyline drama. I get the character motivation. However, the wrestling for me isn't good, yeah. and it's not good from that from that champion. Like, and that's the problem of what we expect from that. Now, we also at the same time don't know it's the level of how invested that audience is in this kind of intra-LIJ stuff, which when I talk about the roundtable show, that's going to be the entire kind of discussion about it is people's different reactions to this and the kind of different things that we as fans kind of look from it, which I find fascinating in an entirely kind of different way. Mm. But for me, it's just like evil doesn't have that at the moment and I can see what they're trying to do. But yeah, for me personally, it's it's just kind of falling flat because the matches haven't been good. Yeah. I think it's all well and good, isn't it, AP, to kind of say, this is a good story. This is a story that maybe, like you say, the Japanese fans are maybe more invested in than we are, but you're relying on the performers to carry off that story. And mm. I don't know if you're any different, Gareth, but Evil's just not carrying off for me right now. I just think he's just a guy, and he's he's always going to be just a guy to me. Big match Evil, match of the night Evil. <laughs> <laughs> 3.82 on grapple. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I was obviously the big, well, I was going to say the big defender last week, wasn't I? I think I was kind of taking the point of like, <laughs> let's play, let's let this play out kind of thing. I didn't hate it as much as you two. I kind of was thinking, okay, yeah, I've got an element of confidence in this and I want to see where it goes. And, um, you know, so it, I don't know, more from a story perspective probably than, than, than anything else. But I mean, I mean, I find it weird because I was re- I was legitimately really enjoying the match up until that point that it was like at the end, I was sitting there thinking, fucking hell, I might even go four on this kind of thing as I was, you know, I was, I was watching it. But then obviously all that fuckery at the end like came into play and, and you just like, oh, well, 
did that need to happen? We've seen it how many times before in the last sort of 12, 18 months when you think about all the shit that happened in the G1. Was that the, was that the G1 be- the year before last even kind of thing? There was so much like Bullet Club sort of fuckery going on at the end of matches and things like that. And it just felt a bit sort of, just feels a bit tired really from, you know, from that point of view. And you'd the like to think that, that's okay. All, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> there is that. There is that. Um, Sorry, Gabe. The, <laughs> the if, you know, I mean, it, it, what it did, you know, for me is, I think it just, it just moved things on, and like, I think it showed that I don't know if if they can move away from this stuff happen at the end, which I'm starting to not have as much confidence in their ability to do so. Maybe there's something there that he can perform to a certain level kind of thing, but depending on the, the, the opponent. But I mean, he's, you know, I mean, obviously he's not going to be the sort of, you know, he's not having the same level of matches that your Ricardas and AJ Styles and Tanahashi's and Omegas are, are going to have, going to have had in the past and things. And I think that's what, what people are always going to, always going to point to, isn't it? You know, the benchmarks so high. It's what we expect from, um, IWGP heavyweight title matches is that elite level of wrestling performance kind of thing more so than it being character driven and storyline driven and and and, and thing, things like that and you know again I, you know I th- there's a, there's an element in me that I'm I'm sort of patient I want to see where it goes I certainly don't expect that he's going to be on top for 12 months and we're going to be seeing him like headline the dome and trying to put on you know match of the year or anything like that but um but yeah I mean it, it was one of them it was it was what it was it was it was fine and it was you know I I do agree it was the was the best best match on the on the card because I sort of thought it was going to be beaten by the the Shingo Desperado match but again I think that one left me a bit a bit flat really to be honest by the end there's not much, not, not yeah. much meat on the bone, is there, to talk like match by match on this show? It, like, I've, I've felt disappointed in general by New Japan's comeback in that regard. I think I maybe expected more of it being in front of fans, but didn't really think about the fact that, well, the fans aren't really going to be able to react as, as honestly as they, they normally would, as loudly as they normally would, and maybe that's taken something away from like the performances in the ring. Mm. I mean, to be honest, do you want to just, me to just tell you about Miyu Burrito on Saturday rather than break this match down? I can break down the KFC <laughs> there, from County Road. The, was, the it, was it warm? Did it kill your hangover? Mate, honestly, okay. I, I ordered it at about like 10 to. And literally, this is from like County Road, which is down the road from my house. I felt like the laziest person in the world because it turned up at five past. It was like a fifteen minute window before me between me <laughs> clicking OK on the app and my KFC turning up. And yeah, it did kill my hangover. I do. I'll call it a four star KFC. Four star KFC. I think on the yeah. KFC scale, um, probably a that's a dubious scale. scale. Yeah, that, that one on that. Yeah, the County Road one's not the uh, the best KFC. <laughs> but yeah, as yeah far as... please don't break down this match. <laughs> it's best to break it down the match, isn't it? Um, but yeah, that, I, I mean, back to just back to a joke, but like back to the evil point. Like I do think this is mm. this run. I believe it even more now than I did last week. It's just to establish him at a certain level. Like I think yeah. we're putting a lot of stock in the fact that he's won both belts. Like he's then he's the second coming, and I think realistically all it is 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 them trying to move him up and using the fact that he he had this little mini reign as a way to establish him, you know, above like a Goto level, you know, to to, to be a guy who's who can credibly be you know in title matches going forward and credi- credibly be like the one A or the one B to whoever's leading Bullet Club, presumably Jay White, and that's all this is like. Uh, I'm hope maybe I'm trying to convince myself more than anything, but I'm kind of hopeful that's all we're watching here. Because as far as the actual like 
matches are going. Yeah, there's not much, uh, not much meat to those bones. Uh, unlike my KFC. I think what it will do is though it's it's almost like a. I think with the situation as well that we're in, with obviously the the COVID situation and things like that, and it's almost like a little pause that I think might be like welcome received because, you know. I've heard, you know, for a, a long time, for quite a few months, people talking about like, oh, the Arcada formula, the 45-minute match, the nothing happens for the first 25, and then there's an outstanding last 10, 15, and suddenly it's a 4.75 match or something like that. And it was almost like people were talking about getting bored of, of, of that being on top kind of thing, and it's been like you're so sick of the Arcada style. And then you look at the matchups that they've had there at the top. Obviously, they've, they've done what they've done with Arcada and Naito. There's no way they're putting that, you know, on the table again when the, when when they can't draw money from it. Re- realistically, obviously, they give Tanahashi another hurrah, like was that last year when he got the belt back and things like that. So they've, they've had that on top as well. And outside of that, there's there's actually you know. With, with with Kenny obviously leaving and they sort of like elevated Jay White into that spot who can't wrestle anymore. There's, there wasn't a, really wasn't a lot of options or direction for them to go there at the absolute top level. So it kind of, in some way, I still feel like it makes an element of sense in that you kind of putting a little bit of a pause on those top guys until until the food until the, the the full crowds are back. You can elevate some people like you know. You've put, they've used it as a catalyst to sort of push Hiromu a little bit more and move him into that space where he might not have got that opportunity here potentially if the full full roster was, you know, full roster was there, especially what they were trying to do with the likes of Osprey moving up into that space and things like that as as, as well that we've that we've seen. Obviously, Jay White would have been around kicking about. So I don't, I don't know. It sort of creates something that you think like, okay, for the next twelve months or something like that, at least there's maybe a tiny little bit more meaning to an evil match in the same way, like you say, there is to a Goto match or something like that based on what they've achieved in the past, you know, going forward. It maybe gives him more credibility three years, four years down the line to win a few matches in a G1 and beat some of the top guys occasionally and things like that. But, but yeah, I don't, you know, again, I'd, I certainly don't see it as, as, as he's going to be putting himself there on that, on that top level and staying there. I was going to say like to that point, if we weren't in a pandemic, would we be getting Okada Yujiro? There you go. We're getting fresh matches, everyone. That's yeah, we could that play was it. fucking horrible. <laughs> you said about the Okada formula. Thirteen. Oh, <laughs> was it I'd have killed minutes? for the Okada formula. It was thirteen minutes, and I felt like thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it two Yujiro. and a half. Did what you give it? Gave it. <laughs> uh, I think I went. I went two, and I thought that's slightly like I thought. Is there a is that lowest I've ever rated a, an Akana match? Wow! It was it was awful. Yujiro's fucking terrible. He's awful. He's shite. Taichi is one where I think even maybe before yourself and Joe, I'd be like, honestly, trust me, I've seen a good Taichi match. It was one with Jeff Cobb. <laughs> I had no expectations. And it is possible mm. when the kind of bullshit shenanigans are, are kind of gone. And just to go on to the evil point, it's the worry you kind of have about that um, trying to kind of the match style is there to deliberately annoy you. That's very bloody risky technique. Put it that way. Where you, your audience is kind of at a, at a minor, um, at a, a small end. But in terms of Yujiro, he's shite. He's fucking horrible. I watched this. I was bored. I don't like a carder wearing the white boots. I don't know why. It's it's just like if you see your football team wearing, like if I see Arsenal, for example, not wearing white shorts with the red top and they're wearing black, it's like, that's not right. 
You shouldn't be having that. And that's how I feel about his white boots. And I know this is a... But it just annoys me from the start. Yujiro just looks like he can't even walk at times. And you're thinking Taiji Ishimori, which I know they're wanting to do the thing with Hiromu at the same time as well. But Akada versus Taiji Ishimori is is infinitely going to be more fun than this. Akada versus Dick Togo is going to be more fun than this. And it, it just suggests to me that at some point, I do think with Evil, they're going to break off and give him his own faction. They're going to have some intra-bullet club fun once they've got primarily some of the guys back from New Zealand, maybe. Um, but yeah, other than that, this isn't like it fucking awful. What was the average, Gareth? Right. I mean, that was two and that was two and a half, that one. I mean, I think, I think based on that... Uh, you know, which God for an Akada match, a Akada match getting a two and a half <laughs> average kind of thing. Like it's ridiculous, but I think that point that you made there Seth about Rollins it, special these days. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. They, he's like on his on, on his on, on his way down to that level, like Christ. But I mean, I think the the point that you made there about the the sort of that internal bullet club thing. I think I touched upon it last week, and that's where there's that element of intrigue for me because. Um, I sort of referenced Jay White last week, and as much as I definitely am not a Jay White fan, like I'm certainly not going to like go out and put myself on, a, on 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 that level. There's definitely some intrigue there for me because, like, I know it, when they had like Kenta getting a title shot, that never sat right with me. That you had Jay White sort of there in the ring, and he was sort of clapping him along and things. And I was thinking, hang about Jay White's story is that he's like the ultimate like Machiavellian isn't he he's kind of like it's it's all about him and him getting to the top and you know as as quick as possible and things and and I was thinking I, I don't like this that he's he's standing clapping he's wanting Kenta to take the belt and I was thinking that's that's so out of character and then now he's like he's out of the picture and evil's been pushed to the fore of Bullet Club and and I'm thinking there's surely there's got to be something there here from a like a storyline perspective that's going to shake Bullet Club up in, in 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 some way and something's going to happen with 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 Jay White there and whether it's you know I don't know whether Jay it's that face, face, turn. face turn, you know <laughs> which I think you know I've, I've, I'd like I've, to I've, see I've, it. I've I've been noting that Gato's been wearing Jay White merch throughout, kind yeah, of thing, which I think is like an interesting touch, kind of kind of thing. It's just like keeping Jay White there. But if you were Jay White, are you, would you be happy that? Oh yeah, we've now brought Evil on board, and he's the guy who's like got the belts, and like he's the head of Bullet Club and things. Like you know, there's 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 something there that again, well, in ring. A Jay White evil match further down the line doesn't fill me with the most enthusiasm in the world. In the world, both of them I'm... please wrestling as their heels styles, <laughs> cheating, stalling, go an hour. The anti Akada Omega. You have to wait till Joe's back, though. That's the rule. Oh. I need oh, that. I need that review in my life. <laughs> I, th- I think that anything that kind of blows blows this up and blows Bullet Club up in some way kind of thing and shakes that whole side of things. And if it's evil, having his own faction that's separate for it with and hopefully Dick Togo not just doing replicant Gado things and things like that. I don't know. There's, there's, there's something there. Because if this just ends up as like, yeah, Jay White's in Bullet Club as well and Bullet Club's just 15 guys who somebody does a run in and kicks someone in the dick and they win kind of thing. Then like, we might as well go, I'll go home now, mate. And we kind of thing. there's, you know, there's, it's got to be a, it's got to be a tool to something bigger. This surely, please. So. You've got more faith than <laughs> yeah. me, Gareth, where I hope so. <laughs> oh. uh, 
I was going to mention as well on this show, you mentioned it before, but like I was kind of expecting, because it was kind of a drab show, wasn't it? When I went back and rewatched it back from the start rather than after I'd seen the main event, Shingo Despi, I was kind of hoping was going to, was going to save us. Mm. And it, it kind of didn't really. It was all right. I gave it three and a half. Like it was a match. It was fine. Despi looked all right. Just didn't really go to the next level for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. Maybe this 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 current New Japan presentation. Um, and I thought that'd be a match I'd, I'd be banging to as well. I don't know if either of you two went uh, went higher or lower that one. I think I might well have gone about three point two five on that. Uh, it, harsh it, grade it was... JP were learning this week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I suppose it's the kind of the time and this. It's not that it was bad. It's just that I wasn't invested. Now, I didn't help with Okada Yujiro, I think, was the match before that. So it was like a three-match stretch where I was like, I'm not really engaged by any of these. And then come out feeling somewhat lacklustre. Then wondering, am I meant to feel lacklustre about it? But for this is, you know... It was, I like Shingo. I like the fact he's re- basically effectively replaced Ishii, which is something that Joe had said quite a while back as well. He's just slipped very neatly into that role. I look forward to him and Goto again, funnily enough. If you're going to sort of repeat matches over this era, I'm kind of, I get that. And those are the kind of matches that I want to see. And I'm happy that they had, they put Desperado in that position, but it didn't work as well as I would have liked it to. Because I like the idea of him. He's kind of too big really to be a junior and he's kind of been around so he's not fresh enough in that junior division whereas something in the heavyweight ranks is a bit more is a bit more interesting but at the same time I just kind of felt quite dead about it and I I wonder whether like uh, you know Shingo is one of the ones with that he seems to be their kind of big constant over this time period is going back on Shingo for this Mm. and you know, I'd love to him and Ishii again. Can we do that on yeah. a show? It's <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah. simple. You don't need to go bonkers on a storyline. Have it headliner Kuroko. I'm well up for that. Some de- like, and that's why. And we haven't even discussed that bizarre fucking King of Pro Wrestling oh, thing that's going. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I was hoping you knew. Point. I was going to ask you. <laughs> I was initially hoping. Is this like the Iron Man series at Starcade 88? <laughs> I could get on board with that. Other than how they booked Muta, I'm still, to this day, there's an element of like, fuck that up. Mm. But at the same time, I sort of wrap, you know, it's something to kill time and to do something with the mid card. Or you could do that. It said he's added all this gimmick stuff to it. Or you could just set up a series of individual feuds between wrestlers. Who have matches and it positions them up and down the card rather than this, which again, I'm looking at a card and I'm like, you were right, mate. But this lockdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, King of the Mountain. King of the Mountain match. Maybe it's a big It's jam, their huh? version of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm maybe just... they, yeah, okay. that TNA influence, maybe that runs that bit deeper than we ever thought. And that's why they're so fucking angry about it because it seeps into their blood like a virus. <laughs> and then at some point they're going to go, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's have a, I don't know, COVID vaccine on a ladder match. <laughs> <laughs> that could be coming. Like I'm, I'm reading I'm reading the description on the New Japan site right now. So if anyone doesn't know, this was Okada's big announcement today and it was apparently eight wrestlers will wrestle in four singles matches on the 26th of August. And you're like, yeah, fair enough. Each wrestler will bring their own desired match to the first round 
I know Carter suggested oh, there will. This is from the official site. There will be all kinds of rules: two out of three falls, ladder matches, steel cage matches. It could be anything. This is New Japan still, by the way, and the fans will <laughs> vote on which of the rules the two wrestlers bring forward. The match is going to be held under, and apparently the winners go into a four way because why not? Let's just do a four way as a final. Like what? What? This is TNA. You know what? People have been slagging this off today, JP, and saying it's akin to the WWE booking. No, you're dead on. This is TNA. This is TNA mm-hmm. all day. Like, in a way, I'm kind of intrigued in a in a wrestler crap kind of way, but I'm not sure you really want that from your New Japan. No, I just, I just totally just when I read that today. Okay, again, my, my, my thought process is always, all oh, right, well, I'll, I'll let things, you know, I'll let things breathe, I'll let it have a bit of a go, you know, kind of thing. Let's not just shit on it from the off. But as soon as I saw that, I was just like, this isn't New Japan. Like, what the, what the hell is this? Like, it's, it, it, it just sort of, like, smacked of, like, writer's block to me or something like that, especially after coming off the, the last couple of weeks that we have where, you know, the direction hasn't been as, you know, you know as great as we've been used to over the, the last few years. And I think just this idea of these picking the steps and then it just going into that last match, I was just like, ah, oh, like, this, this, this just isn't what I want from New Japan. Yeah. And like, like you were saying, JP, it's like, yes, let's just book some actual storylines. Uh, mm. The only the only positive I could see is, I mean, you're talking TNA. I was thinking more like spin the wheel, make the deal. Now that would be great oh, if you uh, just uh, bring back the old Halloween Havoc. Uh, there and uh, Call my Take, glove match. Come it's on. a shit step. <laughs> it's a terrible step. I remember being gutted when I saw that. I was like, steel cage, steel cage. Oh, fuck off. That was a shoot goal, um, wasn't it? Like, I remember watching the video thinking... Oh, a coal miner's glove match as a kid and not getting it and then reading the observer years later yep that was just because it was a shoot and it could have literally been any of the matches so they were like oh well we'll have to go with it we've got this big glove here let's do it like that's WCW all over <laughs> yeah it really it, what it makes me think of this is a very weird reference but and I'd recommend to people search out search out the kill jester sketch from Limmy's show because that's kind of what needs to happen here effectively it goes to a fan vote and you just need someone to basically re- re- those fans need to reply like this is poochie kill jester. that yeah kill kill jester um <laughs> yeah it's just like some bloke caught it's very weird you'd need to see it but limmy show but it really Carry on. oh yeah it like that's what this is this just needs someone to go it's shit move on and it would have been you know having some really good Nice little storylines leading into an open air show at a baseball arena could be quite exciting. There's just going to be this weird convoluted shite in the middle of it. Baseball glove match. There you go. They could do that. <laughs> so I think you either need this to be. I don't really if just go deadly serious, and there's like a no DQ match, and like maybe a ladder match, and maybe a, a cage match, which just feels fucking weird for New Japan. Like. I don't know. I just kind of want them to go wacky. Yeah? I want King of the Mountain. I want Cold Miner's Glove. Maybe a reverse Battle Royal. Throw in a, a Battle Ball, maybe. Well, you can't do a Battle Ball, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> you could do that in the final. I don't know. Throw some these. What was that? Throw in Anita and Terry Funk or something like that. There you go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mix it up. Yeah, they haven't said which eight wrestlers are going to be in this yet, so there's always a, always a chance old Terry hasn't retired quite yet. Yeah. I just like... You know, you said they were booking storylines. Like, that, that is it, isn't it? Like, if, if, if New Japan desperately want to book two out of three fours matches or want to start doing steel cage matches, like, book a few then that leads to a steel cage yeah. match. I don't understand. Like, it just feels like they're fucking around. It almost feels like they're not really, they're like, 
uh, like evil it's like ah it's a pandemic anyway but you know we we might have to all go into lockdown again anyway soon it's not even full attendances fuck it let's just let's just throw some shit at the wall and mess around but i don't know yep. this is this is the period where we're heading into the g1 and then we're heading into wrestle kingdom where yeah i'd probably accept expect something a bit more serious that G one is still coming, by the way. Fucking hell! Like I, I just reminded myself, mm. like that's still to come this year. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, it'd probably be a very miniature, uh, smaller scale local version. I imagine. I don't know if they'd go far outside of Tokyo, mm. depending on how the state of things are there at that point. But like a kind of shorter, much more kind of reduced roster. Mm. I would like to see, not with Yujiro Takahashi, not with <laughs> Yujiro Takahashi. Oh, uh, probably big, big match. Evil will probably run his way through it, won't he? Oh, well, the way it, the way it's going and the way Ghetto's booking, it's probably going to be like a G one brawl for all or something like that. They're, they're just uh, just going to say go out there and just uh, fight for real and see what happens. Exactly. Or something like that. <laughs> and we'll talk about him as the Goth Misawa afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll take it. I mean, while we're on New Japan, JP, did you ever did you manage to catch any lines, bro? I know you were planning on. Uh, oh yeah, watching some of that. Well, it's finished. Well. Oh, is it? It's oh, finished. I didn't so it was only set up for four episodes, mm. and the four episodes that they did was is basically the story of it is Carl Fredericks is what it's there for, and you're talking about a show that's little over half an hour has two matches on it, very little filler in it, but it does always have a, like a kind of Japanese style commercial starring the three guys in the LA dojo mm. for selling a cleaning product, and it's. It's perfectly fine. Like no matches really go much above like kind of three stars, mm. but it's such an easy piece of television to watch, and the style does naturally kind of lend itself. And it feels like it's tryout for people they'd want if they started running New Japan of USA shows, as to be part of a kind of regular roster. And there's a couple of them that are kind of big successes. The biggest of which is Tom Lawler. Tom Lawler got himself over as a character. He only had, um, I think, there was three matches in the end that. He- he had one of them, I think, was like there was there was definitely two singles matches I, I saw, and he was wearing these kind of jorts, but they played up his UFC stuff. He was a very easily understandable character. Mm. The matches he had were very kind of technical and again easy to watch and good fun and and like he was kind of surprised by Alex Coughlin in the last one, and then he ended up looking shocked at it. And he'd give a quick promo, and then it was over. But the last one they had had four on there, and they kind of built to Carl Fredericks versus Jeff Cobb. And, and Jeff Cobb beat him because that's the hierarchy and clearly they want to build to that. And it's like also a test case for a show they've got coming out in two weeks called NJPW Strong that they've said. And I don't know if that's going to be more tapings with a different format. But for an easy set of four tapings where if you want to see that Lions, that, that young Lions style stuff, and I always do, then it's perfect for that. But if you don't miss up, Russ Taylor as well. He oh, was good. He's a beautiful man, the Ogdens, I'll tell you that. He should there. Uh, oh, yeah. He, he deserves more bookings, just based on looking like a like a it, lost Von Erich. Uh, those abs, man. New, New Japan clearly like him. And I, mm. it, I get the feeling it's a, probably a Rocky Romero booked show. Mm. And it's very much just him doing a bit of ta- talent scouting and giving a bit more of a profile to it. But there isn't that much pressure on. Mm. No, it's interesting because like the, the type of dudes they're picking up, like picking up a Tom Lawler, picking up someone like him, picking up like randoms, like you know, the, it's not very 
you know, New Japan to have like an Alex Zane on like their US shows. Like he's been doing a lot of stuff. Like it's a it's an interesting way of kind of yeah of, of scouting and doing something a little bit different. Have, have you managed to catch any of it, Gareth? No, I've not. I've not watched any of it. Um, it's still there. Um, I intend to intend to go back and, and watch it. I know. Mean, I was especially just interested just to see the Carl Frederick stuff, really, because you know, obviously, he's, he's looked good when we've seen him before in in, in New Japan, and um, you know, from from what I'd heard about this uh, the, uh, this particular show, it looked like a it'd been it'd been looking coming across as like a star again on on that particular basis as well. So you know, I think it's something that I was definitely looking at looking out at. But you know, for for me, one of the things that just stands out is is the, is the fact that they can put this show on and if you just think about the you know the the amount of things out there with like the amount of people signed to wwe the amount of people signed to AEW and stuff there, there's still that untapped talent out there as well there are still new stars that can be created and like for me it's just great that new japan are you know taking these guys and putting them into their system and making them work that way and you know, you know help helping develop a star in a different way and probably as i've you know, if you're thinking about like main roster New Japan stuff in the in the last um, the last couple of weeks, um, certainly, I think one of the things that I've really really enjoyed is is the Gabriel Kidd stuff with Togi uh, Makabe that I've been doing on the on the undercard there and having the having that little feud with 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 Gabriel and Makabe and them just uh, you know really going at it, really laying it in. I think Gabriel Kidd's come across so impressive in all of these exchanges, and it feels like Makabe's kind of taking him under his wing and he's giving him the opportunity to to shine as well I like clearly see something see something there with him and you know I think it's the um you know, yeah, you know, it's something that I've, I've absolutely loved to see. And I, th- I mentioned to Ian Hamilton of um, uh, Back Body Drop the, the, the other day. You know, when you, you compared seeing what he's doing on the undercard there to as a career decision to somebody like an A kid, for example, signing to NXT UK, and <laughs> you look at as well as having this like run here. Where he's got this mini feud going on with Maccabee, and if you think in the last few few weeks, months, he's worked with Tanahashi, Okada, you know, he's worked mm. with all the top names and all these tags, and you know, he's, he's, he's looked really, really impressive as well. And again, it's just somebody who, from a Brit rest standpoint, seen a few times on the Brit rest scene. You certainly weren't. Nobody was running around talking about Gabriel Kidd other than the the big Andy Ogden feud of 2018, 19 uh, at uh, title shows. But um, but outside outside of that, he certainly wasn't somebody who everyone was earmarking as a potential next big star but the way he's been presented in new japan certainly in the last couple of weeks mm. it looks like he could be it looks like he could you know he could get to a, a very high level and they clearly rate what he's doing to put him on this on this platform as well so you know that's definitely been a been a highlight as well and just showing again that there is um there is young talent out there that that, that can be developed in new japan are, you know obviously very good at doing that yeah, he's really he's benefited from the pandemic, hasn't he? The fact that he's he's out there already, so he's just a dude that they've got to use, and it's really worked out for him. Um, you mentioned the Ogden's feud. To be honest, I've got a bit of a feud with him. He's blocked me on Twitter, and I don't know why. I don't know what I've ever done. Um, <laughs> Gabe, if you're listening, mate, I'm a big fan. I feel like the stuff you've been doing on the undercards has been great, but apparently he doesn't like it. <laughs> um, is he on your is he on your list, JP? Of uh, of uh, it feels weird talking about him as a young boy. I'll be guided. He's been around a while. What was that? Hmm. I say I'd be gutted if you blocked me. <laughs> I'd be like, for a young lion, I'd feel like kind of mortally offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of the people who, I'm trying to blocked, fucking boost best. those lads beyond above anyone else. <laughs> Sorry, you were going to ask me something there, and I interrupted you. I was just going to say, yeah, is he like again? It's weird, kind of talking about him as a young boy because mm. he's been around so not long, but you know, he doesn't feel like in Brit Red circles, you wouldn't say there's that young boy Gabriel kid, would you? He'd be like, he's somewhere in the mm. middle. Um, but yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah, he's right up your street. 
He is. I mean, there's a lot of interesting story. If you ever hear some of the English commentary, they've spoken about him before in the past, and they've said about how he's had to entirely relearn. Mm. Basically, he's kind of gone entirely back to basics, working there. And it's like a lot of the stuff that that Gareth said. Like it's you can see the progress. Mm. You can see him there. He's. I, I mean, he's not the most polished of the of the young lions there, but they've obviously been in that system for that bit longer. And he's got experience of the LA dojo, but also now the New Japan dojo as well. You're confident that he's in the best place at the moment for him as a young wrestler learning. Mm. And he's in the best country and the best conditions for that. Mm. And he's ambitious. Mm. And he, and they can see it. This is their chance to kind of really make a name for themselves, whilst at the same time having the kind of respect of the hierarchy of New Japan through coming through this system. Which ultimately does reward you with loyalty, if you if you if you're able to kind of tough it out, and I think that's the kind of challenge he's taken on. So, I, I think it's a, a while away yet, but he's in the best place, and he's young, and he, he's learning. Like he's going to be in that new Japan. He's going to be working with Tanahashi in Nagata, mm. like outside of Shibata, who he's already he's already done training with. It's hard to see how he's not going to improve, and I think. Like looking at some of the other young lions, particularly Yamura over this time period, he's really kind of stepped up a bit and he looks absolutely absolute unit again on him. So there's, yeah, good stuff going on with those young lions, Benno. Right, I'm sure that's what the, that's what the listeners want. <laughs> well, if people want to hear more on that, JP, might as well throw the plug in now. Uh, you mentioned before you got a round yes. table coming up later this week, which is uh, mm-hmm. going to be New Japan focused. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be about New Japan, New Japan booking, looking at it from different directions and different audiences. Um, so at this point, um, it's it's due to be myself, uh, Sarah Flannery, Steph Chase, again, our returning champion, and Lisson. And we're talking about, um, effectively, uh, New Japan booking, the different directions, the appeals, because they've all got very different opinions of New Japan, and, and, and really from us, obviously different to each other as well. And the idea is to kind of have a chat about that and why that's, that is the case. And it's looking at it from a different perspective. Mm. And I think that's what we want to talk about and talk about where some of this stuff is, is possibly succeeding. Um, I think the Hiromu kind of mega push for four or five years time is still the thing that, that seems to excite so much of that fan base, but yeah, hopefully we're going into some of the characters and storylines as well. Great stuff, yeah. Def- definitely looking forward to that. Uh, myself as a listener, the uh, the first roundtable yep. you did was very well received. So yeah, the uh, second one I think people are waiting for with beta breath. So yeah, you can look out for that uh, later this week. Uh, I suppose next uh, we were going to do a bit of a, I suppose a roundup of uh, the other miscellaneous things we've all been watching. Uh, I'm actually not not sure. Did either you see GCW, uh, which is kind of going to be my one? Some of day one. Oh okay. Should we do that first? So, then? some of the first day. Yeah. I was going to, like, so we'll talk that. We're going to talk some Impact and some uh, some All Japan. We'll get it in, JP. Don't worry. Um, we're not going to uh, Joe the All Japan uh, out of it. We're going to MLW the All Japan out of uh, existence. Absolutely not. <laughs> but That's an incredibly disrespectful thing to do to All Japan. <laughs> what did you see of, like, day one then? Because I had a fucking great time watching this live uh, on the, on Saturday night. Uh, I've got to say thanks there to was our that... friends at Fight. But go on. Yes. Thank, thanks to our friends at Fight. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was uh, the multi-person match. Oh, with Which ben had Carter? a couple of people in it. 
Yep, Ben Carter and Tankman. Did you know Ben they Carter was really British? And Lee... He's from Jersey. Fuck off. Not New Jersey, like actual Jersey? Jersey in the Channel Islands, yeah. A bloomer match. Have you been to Jersey? <laughs> no. Should I? No. <laughs> I, I'm going to say this is an incredible generalisation. There's something not right about the place. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that in all sincerity. JP, I checked the, the fact stats. He's got his own money alone Jersey. is an enormous red flag. I know they're listening, and I'm sorry. <laughs> What's going on with it? I, I was there for like a couple of hours waiting for a ferry. Ah, and it, it was just like, I don't know, it's a bit League of Gentlemen. I'm just going to throw that out. <laughs> but with the Marks and Spencers. This is going to be our special stuff. <laughs> is that the only shop they've got on the islands? Just the Marks and Spencers, is that it? It's the one I remember the most. Um, I don't know why. There, there were other shops. Not much else to do. And again, Bergerac. I think there's, uh, but I didn't ask anyone about Bergerac on the street. It's not like there's a statue of John Nettles there. Um, there should be one round here for Mid- Midsummer Murders as well. <laughs> we should have one for Jimmy Carter. Where am I going with this? Sorry. Um, where do they, um, is that where the TT trial? Oh, no, that's uh, Isle of Man, isn't it? Where that takes place. Isle of Man. Yeah. Yeah, I've not been there. It's bigotry, I know, and I'm sorry. It is, it's, it's not good enough, but yeah, something doesn't sit right with me. I'm more than happy to be proved wrong about this. Well, you know what they have got, JP? They've got Ben Carter, so at least there's that. They um, do. Yeah, I was looking He got the fuck him. out of Dodge, though, didn't he? Oh, my God. I don't think he had really much of a run in Brit Res, at least like as far as his cage match goes. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like he went straight out and trained with... Oh, I can't remember. Was it Lance Storm? Somebody like that. Somebody notable. I can't remember who it was now. I'd have to look it up. But like, Fair play to he, he's just, yeah, you know, he's fuck Brit Rez. He's actually very good. Like, he's got, again, maybe not the week to bring it up, but the touch of the Ospreys about him, like in his execution. He's got a great look. Like, he was the absolute star. Him and Calvin Tankman, who is literally a tank of a man. He's exactly what the, that name describes. Um, but definitely the stars of that. Yeah, he looked like he had a complete hidden gem. No, that's kind of what GCW good at, isn't it? Like, a you know, un- unveiling like uh, wrestlers like that. Yeah. Yeah, people like him and Lee Moriarty mm. be absolutely remiss to, who had heard a good bit about and mm. clearly has a lot about him. And in normal times, you'd be hoping this guy would have a really good indie run and he'd be over here and he'd be working loads as well. But that's not, not going to be the case in terms of COVID. So he's going to be, this is where the kind of exposure is. But it worked for what it was and it was it's what a GCW audience wants. And I have mm. to say that backdrop was pretty spectacular. Like of just having the sea out there and them on this pier. Outside, yeah. Um, oh my God. Yeah. It just looked like we need to, we need to, it looks TNT like what they Garrett should do to do like a show, like <laughs> on like the Liverpool seafront or something. Cause yeah, oh, yeah, it looks, it looks so good. Honestly, like just the whole, like you said, there were, there were boats going past in the background. Like it wouldn't look quite as good in Liverpool, but like, a lovely like blue sky in the background probably wouldn't get that either maybe it's a bad idea <laughs> it was such a like if you're gonna like do these shows and you're gonna have fans there to be fair they had all of the fans there in masks which i'm not convinced we'd uh, we'd get over here if we did the show especially with people like me in the audience but everyone seems spaced out it's outdoors i don't seem to feel uncomfortable watching these gcw shows like a like i maybe would like other indies uh maybe i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt there um, but yeah, I love that backdrop, back JP. It looks so good. Um, I do want to correct myself, actually. Ben Carter, we slagged him off last week. 
actually trained by Seth Rollins and Marek Brave at the Black and the Brave uh, Academy, so give him some uh, give him some credit there. Um, he's one of probably his not fans. by Rollins himself though. <laughs> yeah, it's just name's just on the door in it. That's that's <laughs> all that is. Um, he's, he's, I bet when he turned up, he say Seth here. No, no, he's off. Good, get me in. I want training. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was gonna all say about that. Seth. I'll fuck him off when I'm off to New Jersey. <laughs> not Jersey. I'm never going there again. <laughs> Yeah, what's better, New Jersey or Jersey, JP? That's what we need to uh, we need to investigate. New Jersey, and I've been <laughs> wow. through New Jersey, and it's some parts aren't nice. Still, New Jersey by a country mile. The last time I went to New York, and this is like fifteen years ago now, I stayed in New Jersey just because it was cheaper. We got a hotel. We stayed in a hotel like right on the outskirts, and just got the path train into New York. And that's all I ever saw. Saw that, and I saw the local Burger King. That's as much as New Jersey. And, the, and the, I, I, we kind of when we drove there, like from the airport, like I kind of got a bit of like the the Sopranos opening theme thing out of it, like the you know, the little scenes going past the shops and stuff. That's all I can really say about New Jersey. Sorry, but apparently better than the regular Jersey. So that's good. Yeah. Um, I don't know where we're going here. Anyway, back to GCW. <laughs> GCW. Oh, shut up. <laughs> um, yeah, like I love that that opener. I thought ACH and Trailer Mars, the second match, kind of, it wasn't what I was in the mood. It was Saturday night, having a couple of beers, maybe doing some other things as well. I'm kind of watching it going, nah, I don't really need ACH to slow down and sell more here with the young kids, which is kind of what he did. He looked fine. It was a good enough match. It was just, it didn't really connect with me and it didn't seem to connect with the live crowd. Cool they've got him in though, like cool they've got ACH. I'm going to mention Leo Rush a bit later that they've got in. I think I felt like there was a concerted effort on this show considering GCW are a company who've gotten grief in the past for using a lot of like, you know, the na- the show names will be like rap lyrics or like the graphics will be based on like a, a juvenile album from the early 2000s and then the roster's very, very white. It felt like they, they've yeah. made a concerted effort to bring in a lot of uh, African-American talent. So that's got to be got to be said to be a good thing. Um, absolutely. Like the, good fucking talent as well, I might, oh, must be said. A great, like, roster of people. Like, I, I'm a big fan of uh, yeah. AJ Gray. Um, mm. You know, like I said, Leo Rush turns up on the second day. It's uh, Calvin Tankman was incredible in that multi-man. Yeah, it's good. It, it is good to see. Um, but yeah, like, a big highlight of that, that day one for me was that Blake Christie and Alex A match. Like, I feel bad because I only gave it 3.75 on Grapple. Because, let's be honest, like, I had a fucking great time watching it. But if you see the GIFs, you've kind of seen the match. Uh, yeah. And the GIFs are fucking incredible. Like, the the, the balance and the, the... Like, at one point, Alex Zane basically did a... They, Alex Zane is... And Blake Christine, the two of them, to be honest, are just, like... They're, they're inhuman at points. Like, there's a point where, like... Did you see the GIF where it was, like, the dive to the outside... And then Zane catches him, and then they do a tombstone. Like, silly fucking stuff. It's so great. I have such a great time watching it. I can't realistically say this is, like, an above-four-star match because the bits in between the moves maybe aren't 100% there. But as far as just going out there and trying new shit and just doing something exciting that you can't see elsewhere, like, mm. I had such a great time. If you didn't get that far in the show, JP, like, break Christie and Alex Zane, that's the, no. that's the match to watch from this show if... You know, maybe saying you could probably watch the gifts as well, but the gifts are fucking great too. No, yeah, I saw this one, and it was for the reason that I knew it was going to be absolutely batshit. Yeah. And it just sums up that GCW know what their fan base wants. Mm. And funny enough, their fan base really didn't want that kind of AJ, um, sorry, the um, ACH versus mm. Trailer Mar match, which I found was quite dull and over long, mm. like like you'd already yeah, said. Yeah, that was the other thing. It was well, like ten minutes too long. Yeah. 
They wanted a gift match. And they mm. gave them a gift match because that's the thing that's going to promote them and get the publicity out there that shows that they're different and unique because they have things like this going on in unique locations. They get their USP. They mm. get what it is they exist for and how they're going to do it. Mm. It doesn't mean I like like so the death match stuff. Obviously, I find fucking repellent and disgusting. But I know why they do it. Mm. It's what their audience wants. It's not about, you know, just... It's not about an audience of one. It's not about just it's, if it doesn't work for me, then therefore it's bad. Mm. That kind of narrow viewpoint on it. I'm kind of perfectly fine for for it to exist. I'm glad they're doing well and they're they're creative. Mm. Yeah, totally. I say they they do interest. Like to be honest, it's worth having the death matches for the fact that you get the Nick Gage entrance. Like I will. Like I, I'd pay any money to see Nick Gage live. I'll I'll sponsor him if TNT want to bring him over. I'm willing to like <laughs> put my name on the line here to get this uh, convicted bank robber over in this country. Like there's something about like when he makes his entrance. Like I would literally you could wonder... do something about this, couldn't you? <laughs> Actually, yeah, I would. <laughs> yeah. I, I would run through walls for this man as well. I'm saying, like he comes out, he makes that big entrance. It's like I don't even care if the match shits to the bed. Like his match was slack, whatever. It was a death match, wasn't it? But like honestly, I will that he's got the best entrance in wrestling i honestly think as far as charismatic wrestlers go nick gage is right up there he's such a fucking he's just a he's, and in real life as well he's a legend have you seen his cameos he's been doing he did one for sarah plan this week and he, he did one the other did week he? where he was talking about trans lives matter like he's woke as well that's what i love about nick gage he's a for a bank robber stand-up dude like one of the best dudes ever, <laughs> what i'd say He's but, not very good bank robber as well, so it's probably best that he's not doing that. that yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. You get this caught, he knows how to do. It. Yeah, totally. He can do this. And he's, he's... But he gets his... He's worth... Take him outside of that. You put Nick Gage on Dynamite, that's not going to work as a Cody oh, open chat. I would love to see it, but let's be honest, it probably <laughs> won't work. I'm game to see stuff like that just for shits and giggles. But here... This environment, how they present him and everything else, it's it's like you're taking the best kind of, I don't want to say it sound like 90s nostalgia again, but they're just doing what ECW managed to do and kind of hitting that zeitgeist at the right time, using people in a way that people want to see them used. And Gage is the best example of that. Mm. Um, yeah, because I thought the Alex Cologne versus uh, AJ Gray match just, I felt horrible watching, yeah, frankly. Yeah, for you, that makes and. And the same thing with like the slack. I think at that point I started to kind of effectively tap out because mm. I saw I wanted to see the entrance and I went, "That's enough for me." Yeah, that's I'm fine. happy to kind. Of, yeah, I'm happy to switch away. I know what's going to happen here. Star rated on that, just on the entrance. Just give it a five, and it gauge is great. No guys, yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Those matches are not going to be for everyone. I I don't don't mind them, but you know they are what they are. The you know the, the fodder. I think uh, my standard is about three stars on grapple for those things, so that's fine. Uh, did you see any of the the Joey uh, Janela stuff with the Yush? Is it Yushiki Kiko? Is that how you pronounce it? JP, yeah. correct me. Um, Yushiki, the yeah, the, the dog. Right um, <laughs> yeah, that was. You know what? Like as as far as a two day thing, I haven't really talked much about day two because it wasn't really. I don't know. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't on the level of day one. Like as far as a two day thing, the stuff they did with Janela, Janela and Leo Rush, really enjoyed. Like it, it, if I hadn't, you know, through our friends, had had means of watching the show, I totally would have paid up for day two based on the angle they did. They did. Um, they did basically the whole Janela thing where he's essentially wrestling himself, and it's it's the doll that you've seen Kenny Omega wrestle and Kota Ibushi wrestle and 
Jim Cornette loses his mind about. Um, but every now and then, it, there's like a dude on the outside. There's another all dressed in black who will help. You should be all right with sex dolls, no? You think you will? You know what the thing you Yeah, you may be. Only if he's Consider- watching, though, not if he's taking part. Anyway. Um- <laughs> Good luck to me. He's free to do what he wants. Uh, but the dude they had in all black helping the doll move was like, you know, getting in there, taking him to the top of the ladder. And Janela was doing silly spots like German suplexing him slash her to the outside and doing crazy spots. To be honest, it was a very enjoyable, maybe comedy sketch more than match, if you want to be strict about it. But it was, you know, enjoyable. But like the whole point match was... Match of the weekend on Grapple, that one. Was it? What was the uh, the average? Actually, I was just going to have a look at it. 3.8 average there for uh, for that one. I went three and a half, to be fair. And that's a man wrestling himself, <laughs> essentially. So. Higher rated than an IWGP title match. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, like I did give five stars to um, Invisible Man versus Invisible Stan, so I can't. Yeah. Um, but it was, it, to be honest, it was very entertaining for it. I know great use of, of having Janela on the shows as like a bit of a name. And it's right as well, because Janela like i don't think he offers a huge amount of dynamite but i feel like what he offers and what he needs is that credibility of doing the indies and doing matches like this but yeah it was a really good like setup to having leo rich be the dude dressed in black on the outside he kind of unmasks them he did the big angle there that led to like the match on the second day um i don't think you've seen any of the second day have you jp um no leo none. Rich. that to be honest the match i wasn't into it it was one of those indie matches where it was very indie, and that's kind of what you want from these two. Like that, based on their their previous matches, that is what this crowd wants, and what they should absolutely outright go out and do. But it was kind of just a lot of. It was just excessive, is probably the word. Um, you know, you've probably seen the gif of Joey Janela jumping off the big post that was uh, was set out there outside. It was like the the big spot of the match, and you know the near falls, you know, grabbed me to a bit. Um, I mean, I'd probably call it a three-star match. Um, 3.75 is the average on Grapple. Um, but, you know, if, if you're into that type of super indie match, you might have liked it more than me. But like, for, for me, it was more that story of the weekend. The fact that they did the big Leah Rush surprise on day one. They did the, then did that on day two. And they cut this thing. Like, there was this incredible promo segment afterwards with Janela putting over Leah Rush as somebody that, you know, had gone to the WWE and, you know, obviously they'd not used him to the best of his ability, but he'd gone over, the, you know, he got he got over, didn't he, on WWE TV, doing the, like, the whole thing with Bobby Lashley, and doing whatever was asked of him, and then Leo Rush cut a promo where he was, because he'd advertised it as hashtag the last match, and he was basically saying that this was his retirement match, he didn't want to do it on Raw, he wanted to do it on the Indies, they left it open a bit, it felt like, I mean, Janela outright said he doesn't believe that Leo Rush is really retiring there, but it was a really nice, heartfelt moment, to be honest, and like, even if I wasn't as into the matches, maybe somewhere, there's clearly a lot of talent there with Leo Rush and it. This is this environment felt like it suited them perfectly, and I would similar to the conversation we were having earlier about you know WWE not being the be all and end all for these dudes who released. He's talking about going off and doing other artistic endeavors, but I would love to see Leo Rush as a as a regular in GCW and even you know as someone who could offer something to an AEW as well. Yeah, why not have him coming in a dynamite? Mm. that would have perhaps a bit of inherent value to it but yeah I, I think I remember saying at the time when he was released and obviously in a COVID world it's very difficult but a real run in New Japan's juniors mm. would have been something that I would have particularly enjoyed to see even if he was just a guest in a best of the super juniors tournament mm. that would be the kind of thing that I think would be would be really fun mm. and really see what he can he, he could do because 
when he was in WWE, he was interesting, and he he knew his self worth. He knew his value. Mm. Um, I think it's his music that he takes very seriously. They called him at one point, if I remember writing one of the clips I saw, they called him like a um, was he like a groundbreaking music producer? Mm. Is what they said. I haven't listened to any of his stuff, but I'm not quite sure that I don't know. He's the second coming of. <laughs> Well, now we don't what is he like? <laughs> is he Dre? Is he <laughs> scouting new talent? I could feel Possibly. you digging deep there for a rap reference, JP. Good job. <laughs> very, very much struggling with it as well. <laughs> Every reference is dated. I'm old. I'm not going to fucking hide that anymore. You should be glad you had that one. <laughs> you ever watched Dave on Hulu, JP? Just as a side note, it's a really good show about the rap industry. You'd like it. Like Watched a couple of episodes like on iPlayer. Yeah, it's yeah. Cool. Oh, was it on iPlayer? Is it all oh, right? Yeah, it's on iPlayer. Yeah, it was. It was. It, what I saw of it was good fun, but mm-hmm. I haven't gone back and and finished them. I watched them with my lads, and they enjoyed them as well. Yeah, good entertaining show. Um, anyway, sorry, GCW. Yeah. Just to wrap up, though, no, that, that, that that stuff was good over the weekends. The weekend was kind of tied together by those two stories, and there was a lot with um, with Nick Gage and Ricky Shane Page. Who you know, say what you want about Ricky Shane Page as a wrestler. Yeah, the, the main, he was the main event tonight on with Homicide, which again, you know, it was just, it was a match. I gave it two and a half on Grapple, to be honest. It was probably one of the weaker matches of the night, 2.44 average at the moment. Um, but it's more about the story, like the whole thing with his uh, Ohio gang and, and Nick Gage and build into a rematch that... That match I controversially gave four and a half stars a, a couple of months ago. Um, they're definitely going in that direction. Unfortunately, Gage injured himself uh, on a daytime show on the second day, so wasn't able to be in the uh, the main event that was allegedly putting his career on the line. But they've got some good storytelling going on there, and Ricky Shane Page, I think, is is really good. There's like the, uh, the outsider heel, even if maybe the matches aren't uh, much the right time about there with him, but... Overall, I had a great time watching the two shows. I thought the first, again, first show had more highlights than the second show, but I didn't feel like I waste wasted my time at all. And you know, these shows are coming thick and fast. They've got another show next weekend on Fight. Um, yeah, they're a promotion that really, they're really outright my favorite promotion to watch at the moment. And as far as the indies go, there isn't really another indie I'm as interested in as GCW. I don't know if I've uh, talked to you, Gareth, into uh, to watching any GCW or if you're uh, you're in the mood for watching their show next weekend based on uh, on any of that. Some Nick Gage for you, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's 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 one of them where it just boils down to time for me with GCW. Like, I, like both of them shows, I was I was interested in the first show just with the the card before it happened. Then, obviously, you know, um, having the, uh, the the nice code there from our friends at Fight to be able to uh, to be able to watch it um, was like another incentive. But obviously, didn't get around to do it. But then when I saw the storylines and things that came out of it with the Leo Rush stuff as well, it made me want to watch day two. And you just think, well, they're know what they're doing they're building intrigue they've got a two-day thing there they're going for those additional buys you know kind of thing they know how it works you know they're putting on a variety of matches and one of the things i always notice with gcw is obviously with them being on the app it's just like the match ratings that they do get obviously the volumes of people rating their matches are going to be lower than when you you know you're, you're looking at obviously new japan or AEW or you know even to a lesser extent things like all japan and things like that but 
there's always that pocket of matches that are up there that are getting higher than like 3.5s and you know 3.6 average ratings like those those there was the top four matches there from this weekend were like 3.75 and above which that's better than extreme rules and that's you know, you know yeah. kind of thing you know you think you think there's you know there's there's clearly something there that that's you know people are enjoying that thing uh, that they're doing right they've got their own niche in the market and like kind of like good on them really because especially when you see the names of the book in there the alex zanes of this world the blake christians you know given leo rush that opportunity there and even you know different people like you tony deppens chris dickinson's of this world you know here and you know people i've not seen before lee moriarty i've heard a bit of hype about and things like that there's a lot of fresh different names kind of thing there as well which is it's what you want from wrestling isn't it you you, you always want to see the next guy who's emerging on the indies and doing something a bit different doing something a bit unique and you know following them on the way and you know gcw seems to be as good a place to start doing that as, as anywhere else at the minute absolutely yeah that's why they're on the app isn't it and uh, again not so much the uh, it's not your your you're not going to get your big star ratings, but I think you're the consistency across the board, aren't they? Um, you know, with, with stuff that just generally is enjoyable. So yeah, party recommend from me for the, for those shows. But while I was watching that, uh, I think you were both watching Impact, were you? Did you both see that? Uh, I think it's just you, JP, that saw All Japan. I don't know what you want to go to next. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, well, the All Japan thing, I'll do it very quickly. Go on. Um, because it's mainly based around one wrestler. I'm not even going to leave, JP. I'm going to wait. I'm going to sit. I'm going to enjoy oh, it. Oh, you're going to wait? Oh, I'm oh, oh okay. I, I wish it doesn't normally happen. What about Shitaro Ashino? <laughs> um, he, he, to be honest, like it's something. It's someone who WH Park first put me on to. Mm. Um, and especially when he joined um, New Japan. Uh, mm. Sorry, All Japan. New Japan. That's a Freudian slip. And he has been like someone I follow primarily because he's a massive Arsenal fan. And oh yeah, tell us about it, that. Yeah, yeah. So how it kind of started was like I never really use Instagram, and it just came up on a notification on Instagram Live story, mm. and he was there. There seems to be two things that he, well, three things that he loves. Like the first of which is mobile phones, which I can kind of take or leave. But he's younger than me, so why not? Arsenal and Metallica. They're like the three things that seem to really kind of motivate him outside of wrestling. And I thought I can definitely get on board with two of those. Like the third one, yeah, whatever. But so occasionally I just started a thing of just sort of mentioning like effectively Arteta, thumbs up or thumbs down. Very much thumbs up, very much big on Project Arteta. Like I say, like he knows a bit of English and I think it's primarily through Metallica as well because mm. he comes out to Fuel, which is a great tune to come out to, which is me mentioning it. So it's one of the songs that we play in the opening or the close. Yes. Just throwing that out there <laughs> as well. Gareth agrees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Moving away from hip hop this week, Benno. Oh, uh, so you referenced Dr. Dre as well, man. You gave me a million. No, there. no. To... You, you stopped jungle music that one week. <laughs> and I tell you, I'm never letting that be forgotten about as well. <laughs> oh, trust me. That, that, that's though. stored on there. Um, so, yeah, where am I going with this? Shitaro Ishino. Um, so he's basically um, been really like he's he, he was in Wrestle One. He was trained by by Muto. Wrestle One fell by the wayside, and so he's coming to all Japan. And like, what's happened is he's had this really good run, but he still does his Instagram live stories where I'll ask him an Arsenal related question, and each week they get trickier. Um, I noticed, I think it might have been the time he wrestled Suwama, 
I asked him his thoughts on Bukayo Saka signing a new contract. I don't know if that resulted in he lost the match. I don't know if that had anything to do with it in any kind of storyline terms. Maybe he was confused. He might have thought it's too much money. We've already got Tierney on the left. And I was like, well, if he's thinking we need to get rid of a youth player, he's not someone I want to be supporting in the first place. Not Bukayo Saka. But his wrestling, on the other hand, very handy. He's got master of suplex. Um, He's got Master of Suplexes written in the kind of Metallica font on the back of his shorts as well. Um, They've given him his own stable, Enfant Terrible. Um, Kind of not like a conventional heel, but he's just someone they've thrown into the kind of top mix. Mm. But like I say, the Arsenal connection in particular has made me get on board with him. Like, and I like Kento Miyahara, but I know I'm cheering for when they wrestle in the Champion Carnival. And he had a match with Suwama. I went four stars on it. Yeah, there's a bit of bias, as I've already explained. But really good, like, it was a bomb match, like you'd expect with Sawama. And I can see it becoming a feud once Sawama drops the title, which is a decision anyway that I don't quite get with all Japan. But he's been like a real breath of fresh air, particularly it's that heavyweight division that's good. And he's another person in that top mix that they're trying to kind of see what happens and maybe what... And he is charismatic when he comes out. And it makes you feel like... This is someone who's worth investing the time in. He will mean something at the top of the card. They've kind of gone quite hard on him already. And like Suwama's only there as a transitional champ. Well, I don't quite understand why. He just wrestled this Yukawa as well again. So I was like, do they need to be doing that? But you could see a point when the next time he wrestles Suwama, that he might beat him in the Champions Carnival, and then they'll have a kind of tie match for it, which I know all of this exists in this little world with all Japan, but it's actually like kind of nice simple storytelling and i like it and i like the way that they kind of develop their characters um develop that kind of top line in particular that's really where the interest is the juniors is a bit weak same thing really in kind of the tag in many ways and a lot of that undercard because it's a very narrow small roster that they use but there's room for growth in it and i won't go into massive detail about it but if you haven't seen it already that All Japan Dojo documentary is a really good watch mm. for like 45 minutes. And it's just fly on the wall stuff, really no frills. But you know what? You appreciate seeing it as well. And it's Yuma Ayagi, who's the trainer. And it uses um, Akira Francesco, the, the young um, Italian junior who's been out there as someone who's entirely kind of retrained and gone through their system. He's like your pair of eyes. To the out to the to the newcomer about what it's like living in the dojo and it's the usual stuff. I mean, it's it's arm drags and repetitions of kind of um, neck stretches and all the rest of it, but it doesn't make it any of the less interesting. It's also the level of professionalism that mm. they kind of bring to this and the seriousness that they bring to with their craft, and it's that kind of level of training that you really res- that you really respect as well. So if you haven't seen it. It's a very easy watch, like 45 minutes, like just the conversation about what an all Japan arm drag is and the fact that it's come through Baba. And you're just thinking, this is much more interesting than seeing Mark Calloway sit there in a God is dope shirt, talk (laughs) about maybe coming out, coming out for one last ride. It's like, I could give two shits about that. But like, whereas Akira Francesco, I'm there. (laughs) Uh, so that's all japan 
how does all Japan do on the app, Gareth? Like, as far as like rating it, because like it's not something I had a lot of talk about. And JIA, you talking there, JP, and it's like, yeah, I feel guilty for not keeping up with it. Like, I watch the big matches, like. Well, like I did match of the month with James, it was like okay, I need to, I need to plug in here and and keep up to date with like the the big stuff. But like, does it, does it, does it still have an audience? Like as far as like comparatively to like a GCW or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it 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 does like you know decent you know relatively decent numbers i think for you know probably slightly above what i would have probably expected really when i put it on the app last year i think one of the things the notable things for me was when i was putting together the grapple 100 last year of the, the 100 best matches of 2019 like 13 of the 100 came from all japan and that was you know i had a cut off criteria there of you had to have you know a certain number of ratings to be eligible to be on the list kind of thing as well so so there were, there were certain matches which you know would would have fell un, un, underneath that so there's certainly that representation now a lot of that was driven by miyahara and mm. um, obviously he had a whole host of fantastic matches last year which you know i kind of towards the back end of last year made it a bit of a mission to do a bit of catch up with those and i kind of sort of came into 2020 thinking yeah, I'm going to watch more All Japan because this has been so good and it looks like they know what they're doing. There's a bit of buzz there. There's a few different um, different wrestlers there. I'm quite intrigued and lo and behold, time gets the better of you and things like that. And, you know, I ended, haven't ended up doing it, um, doing it so much, um, watching it so much this year. But even still, I think like the ratings that, um, that we've seen come through this year, you know, there's, even in 2020 there, there is... Um, you know, there's a top six, seven matches there that are all rated four stars or higher, and there's 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 a greater variation there. So as well as you know, Miyahara popping up a couple of times, obviously you've got the Shitaro Shino Sawama match that JP referenced there previously. You've got like the Yoshida Nomura match from from January as well. It's rated quite highly there. There's um, a, a six person tag as well from from April there that's making the list as well. So you know, it just again, it just kind of like further emphasizes there that if you are kind of a bit disinterested in WWE or you're a bit disinterested in the new uh, direction that like New Japan's going in at the moment, you know, there are alternatives out there. And mm. fortunately enough, there's this great app that you can find these matches and tune <laughs> in to uh, pick out the uh, best uh, the best matches of different promotions to, to go to. So, yeah, get your, uh, get your old Japan on and get rating. Yeah, get in with the cool kids. Get in with JP. I'm not the cool kids. Trust me, I am not. I never will be. Uh, the cool dads, then. That's what this podcast is now. Yeah, cool dads. Oh, I'll, I'll live with that happily. <laughs> You're both pretty cool dads. Um, not not to Joe this thing, but I, I feel like I've just had some breaking news come across my, my desk that I feel like I need to raise on this podcast right now. Um, reported by, and again, this is this is. The source isn't great, but I just saw Martin tweet about it by EFL Hub. You know the way uh, apparently somebody's currently in Vance talks with uh, with Sunderland with uh, Stuart Donald about buying Sunderland. Vince McMahon. <laughs> Vince McMahon is allegedly allegedly in advance talks with taking over Sunderland. Do we put any? Uh... Any stock in that? Oh, I wish I'd known that at the top of the show. Um... <laughs> My thoughts it... and sympathies are with Ian Hamilton. <laughs> Like, I'm um... so sorry, Ian. You shouldn't have to go through this, mate. Considering the stuff he's had to watch and review on top of this at times, like, he's Job. He's the wrestling Job, and I think Vince McMahon taking over Sunderland is... <laughs> that might just be, like, the kind of plague. Sorry, Ian, that sounds awful. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'm thinking go to back to body drop. Oh, yeah. Obviously, there's that great... Uh... 
on Netflix, isn't there? There's the Sunderland Till I Die documentary, so oh, that, yeah. that could make that um, that could make that entertaining. And Sunderland Till I Die, it might be a fitting end for uh, <laughs> Mr. Uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Who knows? Get lost in the uh, got lost get lost off the coast up there or something like that. That'd be quite nice. He'll die. They would do. Sorry, I was going to say he'll die when he sees Jack Robwell's wages. Is he still under contract there, or is it added GB and that? Basically, it's like where all of Everton's players went to die. Like that was a big thing on it. That's until I die, wasn't it? Where they were like paying off these Premier League wages while they're all the way down in the uh, the dregs of the leagues. Sorry, JB. Oh no, it's just that. Are they going to try and do? I don't know a tie-in with them. Like, are they going to have? I, I don't know, Aidan McGeady turn up on SmackDown. <laughs> now he's back off loan. Like, are they going to do stuff like that? From a sheer weirdness perspective, I'm game. I remember seeing Chris, I don't know, if, I, the problem is with this the kind of League One football, they all disappear very quickly. I remember Chris Maguire at Oxford, very handy player. I didn't think he'd be on NXT. There's a vague possibility that that could happen. Will Grigg, you know, you maybe they'll take on board the chant. Yeah. <laughs> These are crossovers that I'm willing to do. They decide to do, you know, COVID's over. We're doing a mega show. Oh, Wembley Stadium. No, Stadium of Light, mate. What, Lisbon? No, Sunderland. That's That's where we're off to. They just want to outdo the cans, don't they, with uh, with Craven Cottage? Maybe that's the other part. Because Vince is always, like Martin said, like it was Newcastle he was always linked with, wasn't it? It's like he's just jumped across the northeast now and go with Sunderland. Maybe that's why. In two years' time, the proxy war of wrestling could be Sunderland versus Fulham. (laughs) <laughs> how's oh. that happen how how could that even be in, a, in any serious world like a line that you could say and think, well, that feasibly could be a thing are you going to get like hardcore like WWE fans going to like Fulham away games with Sunderland <laughs> ready to kick off big town monks dogs all that <laughs> exactly <Yeah>. the fucking <laughs> shite <laughs> no yeah. surrender to the AW like Four I mean you start. know it's it's, it's <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I just want to see Roman Reigns on Raw in a Sunderland top now, like talking shit. Yeah, that's all I need in my life. It's going to be like a, a load of angry people, a load of angry people from Sunderland wearing I don't know Rhea Ripley shirts going in. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be all in JP for um, Nile Quinn hosting WrestleMania instead of Gronk next year or something oh, like that. You'd yeah. be all over that. He take he take that bump properly, Big Nile. As a big man, he works, and he always knew how to work to his strengths. I could see Niall knowing, like, I'm, I'm big, I'm not selling for you, but when he sells, it means something. And if anything, <laughs> Who is he, he should up? work with Finn. Well, he should be working, effectively, you'd think, work with Finn Balor to try and get him that extra bit of a boost, as if he's Robbie Keane mm. in the 2002 World Cup, and it's the knockdown versus Germany. I like it. <laughs> well, there's our uh, old Japan review. Sorry, JP, we did it again. <laughs> <laughs> All Japan to Niall Quinn. That's uh, impressive. That's awesome. That's very it. impressive, even for us. Uh, well, while, we're still, while we're there in the uh, overall review section, uh, the catch-up, uh, I suppose, briefly, uh, Gareth, you uh, you caught some impact after the uh, the incredible, uh, very enjoyable Slammiversary pay-per-view. Sad to say I haven't caught any of it, but like I believe it was a, a good little show. Yeah, I mean, like I say last week, like I came away from that Slammiversary show thinking, yeah, all right, I, I wouldn't mind giving Impact another go here because I, I really enjoyed it and ended up watching watching Impact this week for the first time in God knows how many years, like literally years and years kind of thing. And and 
a solid little show, I thought. Like, I think it was, you know, I think it probably it was bookended with two decent things, like Chris Bay and Willie Mack had the the opener as well, just following on from the from from the Slammiversary match, and it was good because they, you know, again they went out and had a nice little three star special, and it's sort of hovering around the average on Grapple as well. Um, yeah, interesting note. Impact now on the app. Um, just uh, the fact that I've started watching it is a mere coincidence. Um, <laughs> um, um, but um, yeah, I thought it was. Um, it helped to just kind of again solidify Chris Bay as that X division champion, and you know, um, sort of settle that score with with, with Willie Mack. I think middle of portion of the show was a bit kind of it's probably a bit slower. There was a few like matches there that you take or leave. It was a bit skippy, but there was a lot of setting up stuff with backstage things and new people coming in and and out. But again, just following on from what we talked about last week, and we were referencing like Motor City and Machine Guns and how well they looked at Slammiversary and had that main event where they they took the belts from the North after the North having the belt for for so long and you know that averaging out at like 3.84 on grapple so again you know higher than a new japan main event you know real real strong tag team match there both teams were into the strength and um you know setting it up with the the machine guns taking that taking the belts and you know really sort of pushing another sort of direction that the impact can go with their tag division really so again like all in all followed up from that one thinking yeah i'm watching this again next week i want to see what happens with the tag title i want to see what happens with chris bay i want to see what happens with some of um sort of obviously the new talent that they've brought in there and just how they fit them into storylines and how they, they get them to work and things like that so definitely recommended and you know it was one of them it's just it's just there on sky channels kind of thing that i probably just even like didn't even realize it was it was on there to to just watch on like you know some of the free channels and things like that as well being shown so yeah give it a give it a watch give it a go sure yeah the north are a really like underrated little tag team like i've always liked mm. ethan page just like a promo guy but as far as like he's improved in ring he's improved his look like he's a he's a solid talent like i think he's signed now isn't he to a long-term impact contract so he's not gonna land anywhere else but he's a good dude to get behind you know and that company and they're a good tag team to get behind just alexander's been around for forever hasn't he uh yeah no i've heard nothing but good things about that main event with the most city machine guns explains why the most city machine guns went over on the pay-per-view um good little thing to do really it's getting them attention isn't it like people might criticize them jp for bringing in a lot of outsiders and doing things mm-hmm. like putting the Motor City machine guns over, but it's getting them more attention than like I've paid personally. I've paid to them in in months, and you know generally they're getting positive reviews from it as well. Um, again, if this was AEW, you'd be a bit like ah, it's a bit much. But to be fair, with it being Impact, I mean I don't want to say it's only Impact. So I don't want to offend you after some of the Arsenal comments <laughs> earlier on this show, but it is only Impact. You can get away with that stuff. And it is only it's Impact. Mixed, it's mixed yeah. things up exactly and you kind of want to see them taking more risks in some ways and some things and and pushing people as well i mean i kind of flicked through bits of this because i did want to see the main event and agree completely with with gareth i mean i I enjoyed it i I thought it was it was relatively easy the stuff that was dumb i I just skipped through so i saw something with ty valkyrie johnny bravo rosemary and house and i went i'm having none of this and just (laughs) skipped through it fine like and I lived quite happily for it, but it's 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 the kind of I mean, even in its kind of product with all of these issues, it seems to be a damn sight more palatable than anything that WWE is doing. And like you say, they've got a bit of momentum and a bit of buzz, and they've taken some chances on some new fresh faces who appear to have um, you know some in. They're going to do some somewhat interesting things. I think the problem 
they're going to find is they're putting a lot of investment, I think, on particularly Anderson and Gallows. And I don't know how much they're actually going to put into this because my only impression is I'm kind of watching them, not really listen to what they're saying. I'm looking at how much enthusiasm they're putting in. And already it just seemed like, like, like Anderson had glassy eyes when kind of talking <laughs> through stuff. Cause they're kind of, so it's what happens in this Ace Austin is it Madman Fulton, who's the kind of bodyguard? What happens in that few? Because I like Ace Austin. Are they thinking of doing something good with him? Or is it a case where it's just going to be about kind of squashing them necessarily? It's what what do they do in these situations? Because historically, TNA, have, TNA, Impact have ended up in this situation. Well, it's the same fucking thing anyway. Um, let's chuck in Global Force while we're at it. <laughs> it's, the, it's the same thing anyway. So, like... Like they found themselves in this position where they've signed up a load of people. This one, they seem to be a bit more optimistic because they've got some steadier hands actually booking the product. Does it have any tangible, meaningful effect? Mm. And that's difficult to know because the ratings themselves on access are quite low. And it ultimately depends on it. They're still held hostage to what Anthem wants to do. And to be honest, media companies, pandemics, you know layoffs happening it can be a bit of a scary time so even though they are the zombie company that will never die and i'm not necessarily predicting their demise there are always going to be these kind of bumps they're going to have to try and get over so they need to get momentum quickly and get something going and they've managed to do something about that at least it's amazing that they managed to sign all these people and wwe is struggling so bad that they've had to lay everybody off and i know little little Lucky impact there, signing up all these different people. I think that's the uh, one of the things for me is like I kind of feel like a lot of that TNA stinks kind of like washed away, and they've sort of almost like bottomed out, and they almost feel a bit like like that plucky underdog to me kind of thing. And they are giving a chance to some different people and things. And I'm kind of like kind of wanting them to to succeed mm. at the level they are. They're never obviously going to be at the level that they once were, kind of thing. But I think as a Again, as an, an alternative out there that you could you can follow on a weekly basis, see some different names, you know, see some, um, you know, some people obviously that you've seen before in other promotions and things like that. Then, then I, th- I, th- I think they're, they're worth a go. I'm certainly going to yeah. at least give them kind of I'm going to give them a few weeks kind of thing and just see how it how it evolves. I'm I'm interested, you know, the the Kylie Ray Donna Parazzo um, yeah uh, development that's going there, especially after the Donna Parazzo match. When I've seen Kylie Ray in the past, I've liked her intrigued to see what's what's going on at the the the, the top end with the the title as well, and you know the the tag division as well. So it seems like they've you know they've got some reasonable plans laid out around the belts, which is a wrestling promotion, you know. It's kind of like 101 almost. That's what, let, let's let's have a direction. Let's have some key things that we want to follow through, and let's let's see how they do it and get there. And yeah, I'll well, ju- judge them at the end of it. Totally. There you go. We'll become the impact podcast like you always wanted, JP. Well, uh... <laughs> that was always secretly there, wasn't it? Just taking <laughs> over by stealth. <laughs> now, now, now I've got Gareth in as the as the kind of inside mole to kind of change it all round. There you go. I, t- I tell you what, if there was no TNA. No TNA, there'd probably be no grapple. That was what pulled me back into wrestling uh, all, all, all those years ago when I had a, had a little hiatus. Uh, so uh, so there you go. I always have a little place <laughs> in my heart as well. Is Jeff Jarrett Good responsible lad. for grapple as well? Because don't tell him that. You know, he'll want like a percentage of the shares. He probably owns half my house at this stage, Jeff, you know, like, but uh, yeah, it's probably, if you look into things, he's probably, he's probably got a 2% stake in grapple or something like that. He, again, he's probably, uh, probably got his finger in more pies than anyone, hasn't he? 
<laughs> That's our Jeff. Oh. Yeah. He's always involved. <laughs> um, moving on then, I suppose one last thing I wanted to talk about before we do go. Um, obviously, we had a bit of a conversation last week about uh, Will Ospreay in general. Uh, Andy Gwilden's Q&A on the, the Rev Pro Patreon. So we kind of went into it in quite a bit of detail last week. But there has been, since we last recorded, the... Uh, the Will Cooling interview with uh, with Andy. Um, I don't think have either of you heard it. I know you haven't heard it, have you, Gareth? Um, you didn't hear much of it, did you, JP? No, no, I didn't hear. I didn't hear it as four much. It's four and a half hours. To be fair, small bit. Yeah, <laughs> I've given yeah. Will a lot of shit about that. It is. It's too long. Like, I, <laughs> like totally. Like, and Will know. Will knows that. And like, I think it probably should have been edited down to two to two parts. Uh, I'm not talking out of turn. I've told this to his face as well. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think that's the problem. I think to be honest, this interview, like, it it, went, it was four and a half hours long. Andy Quilden has been pushed, I know, by, by Emily Pratt about putting like some kind of statement out as well about what he's doing with all the wrestlers. And I do hope it's true when he says that's to come because I think that does need to come because I do feel like a lot of people haven't listened to the interview. But to be honest, like I, I'm biased because Will's our mate, but I, I thought it was I thought Will did a good job. I honestly thought it was a worthwhile interview. Um, I thought he had a good conversation. I, I thought Will pushed him where he needed to push him. Where, you know, with a few of the points we were raising last week, like Osprey, for example, like, I don't agree with Andy Quilton on Osprey. I think he puts across a reasonable case. I think he's very much, he's the rehab guy, isn't he? He's the, you know, we can, mm. he's the, you know, he's been in Quilton's mind punished and here's what we're going to do to rehab and maybe he should go on courses, that type of stuff. It's a bit like what he did with, because he, he says in the podcast about Bowden and about how he, continuously like giving him second chances and wanted to rehabilitate rehabilitate him and it's kind of like you know at a point you've got to kind of let that go um and that does seem to be Mm. his take on a lot of things he is you know from that very liberal school i would say but overall i I, maybe it's controversial to say this but i thought he came off well i thought i thought he came across a bit egotistical in bits buried progress probably one too many times um there was a couple Mm. of there's that weird bit where he talked about staying in different hotels from the female wrestlers that obviously kind of sounded a bit Joe Biden to me. But overall... Mike thought, Pence, you mean? Yeah, Mike Pence. Oh, blame Joe Biden. Sorry, yeah. Mike Pence. Bi- um, Biden's all right. Yeah. But it was like... I felt like... And I think the problem is with him not putting a, state, a statement out of what, he, what he's doing with individual wrestlers. It felt like he was mentioning tangible things he was going to do with the individual cases, like mm. sending Oku off for sensitivity training, not using um, Andy Boy Simmons on commentary anymore, but, you know, saying at some point he might send him off for some kind of sensitivity training if they ever do decide to bring him back for commentary, but they'll never bring him back for the school. I thought he was reasonably hard where he needed to be hard on people like David Starr um, and on, you know, some of the other very serious cases. Um, I'm not saying I agree with him entirely, but I'll be honest, I was glad the conversation took place. I was glad the interview took place. Um, yeah. You know, again, I felt like Will pushed him where he needed to push him. And I thought that, yeah, to me, it sounded like, you know, he mentioned things like, you know, it, it shows eliminating the entire merch table thing, you know, as, as a way to put a barrier up between wrestlers and fans. And there was part of me listening to that going, ah, I don't know how realistic it is to expect wrestlers to not do that anymore when that's where they, they get their merch from. But it's a reasonable step um, when he talked about what he was going to do with the individual wrestlers involved. It all sounded like 
reasonable things that he was going to do with the individual people, even if maybe I thought he could have been stronger on Osprey and he could have been stronger in a couple of cases. Um, but mm. yeah, overall, I'm just... I've, I've seen people question whether the interview should have even taken place, whether Will was giving him a platform, whether it was a bunch of men talking about speaking out. And to be honest, like I, I just feel like obviously like the, the primary conversation should be coming from women when it comes to speaking out. But I did think it was worthwhile having someone like Will on a platform like PW Torch pushing what is the, the biggest independent wrestling promoter in this country and, and asking him questions and trying to find out what he is going to do in, in, in the individual cases that affect RevPro and what he's going to do overall to, to safeguard fans and to safeguard wrestlers backstage. And yeah, I, I did think like a, a lot of that was, uh, was covered there. Yeah. I mean, it's like you say, from the bits I heard, and it really isn't altogether that much of it. it. It's it's a case of not agreeing with him. And I agree with you that it's very quick to go to the kind of rehabilitation part of it yeah. without the actual kind of punishment part, which has been something that we, we've spoken about before. Mm. I understand as well in, in the case of cases that, that, that people don't want podcasts like this discussing individual and specific cases regarding speaking out. And I completely understand and appreciate that. Um, I get the, I, I understand the anger and it is kind of justified. I suppose it's at the point where he's put his head above the parapet. And if you're thinking in the case of this, there are so many people with so many more direct links um, to abuse who've said nothing and have been silent. And at times you don't want to create a scenario where cover is given for people to never speak again about this mm. because of the fear of reprisals because then everything goes back quiet and then goes back into the dark again. And this is how it happens. Um, and it's, uh, and I think with this, we've kind of like, there's a couple of ways that I've kind of thought just overall. And I do understand and appreciate, and I know where that there are lots of things happening behind the scenes, um, how big those are um, in order for the things to kind of really move on and have a substantive effect is going to require require effectively sort of all stakeholders in wrestling to be involved in that and uh, involved in in some of those kind of discussions and part of that is going to be the feedback that fans give to promoters about what they need to do mm. um whether there is a universal code code of conduct that that is that is put up and is adhered to by all of the major promotions in in the country um it's I got the impression that I wouldn't want if he was using policies and procedures that he drew up himself, mm. I think he's he's setting himself up for a fall. Totally. Um I think these are things that need to be implemented from other people and other bodies and effectively put on there. And not to think of this in a territorial way of this is my business, this is what I do. It's like no, for the benefit of everyone else, you want to know that there are promotions that are being run this way and they're in communication with each other. And effectively, like a kind of good NWA, if you'd want to think of it, without the kind of pointless competition elements of it. And I'd really like to see that happen. Um, and I suppose these are the areas I feel like, you know, and I'll try and keep some of this stuff down to a minimum. But when it, when it comes to where the movement goes next and what happens, I just keep on thinking of what are the tangible outcomes that people want from this? Um, how are they going to get there? Um, how does it involve all stakeholders? And that comes back to the idea of the discussion and the the kind of hearing all viewpoints as well from it. 
because the stakeholders are everyone. It goes from fans to wrestlers to promoters um, to people who are even kind of viewing a lot of this stuff from a distance. And it involves all of us being involved in that. So I like the Wrestle Island ideas of holding kind of fan forums and speaking to them. Mm. What this can't be is in promoting inclusion, it becomes exclusive in a way, particularly on those stakeholders. I get there are certain bits that people don't want to hear us talk about, but when it comes to the fundamental reforms of where this goes, it requires compromise and it requires conversation and it requires delegation. What I don't want to see that filled with is noise. Mm. And unfortunately, nature abhors a a vacuum. And if there isn't any, what you would see as visible leadership, it then... I notice that things start to feel like they deteriorate, but I do, I'm aware of stuff happening behind the scenes and people can't say it, but they're like, it's waiting to see how, if what really comes of that. And I know I've mentioned about, you know, wanting to speak to Alex Davis Jones and the APPG fingers crossed that'll happen. But I think we're realistic enough to know that politicians will always kind of move stuff around in their diaries. And she has her own life as well, I might say, and could just be on summer holidays at some point. Mm. Um, But when it, when it comes to this, there are some very practical ways that are more in line with kind of campaigning that kind of need to come into place. And they involve discussions and they involve hearing these in order for the discourse to take place, for that to change around it. What I don't want to see happen is that the idea of this being spoken about, then it becomes shouting at the person who's actually kind of, who is deciding to be vocal about, you know, in any way, shape or form. And even like a Mark Haskins, for example, Mm. where you say anything and it's because you're vocal and you're there and you would have known these people that people, you know, launch straight in. And how I felt about it is, and I'll be honest, I felt this way from the beginning. I am much, much, much more bothered about the absolute silence from Progress, Fight Club Pro, and ICW. Mm. That bothers me so much more than the stuff necessarily about the interview because those places were hotbeds of abuse and they had a very clear after-party drinking culture around those promotions. And at Rev Pro, the drinking happens at the Dundee Arms and stuff that's effectively out of your call. Mm. And I know that they kind of turn effectively. There's that idea of, well, it's not our concern. It's afterwards there as well. And that's stuff that they're, they're going to have to also think about as well at the same time. Mm. So yeah, I, I, I've probably not necessarily answered lots of it. And, you know, you do think how much do people really want to hear my views on this? And probably some people not at all, but Hey, yeah. we've thrown it to the end of a three hour podcast. So, I mean, I would say on the, on the on the progress thing, like I would say, like there, it, it, this goes to the damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. Like I, I do think mm. that it's good that progress are maybe taking the time and the people behind progress that have that have take that have stood up are taking the time to announce anything. Then again, the people who own progress before that have have, have actually done a disappear act. So there is a. There's something to that. Absolutely. Which is, which is like, to the point, uh, I don't know if you've got much thoughts on this, Gareth, like, the po- whether you, if you completely disagree with Quildman, if you don't even think the interview should have taken place, okay, I can see where you're coming from, from, like, a, uh, from, from, an, from an anger point of view, because there is still a lot of anger out there, but I don't know, for, for me, personally, I would rather that conversation took place, and again, I would rather 
you know, someone like Will pushes a Quilden on a Marty scale, for example, like he did on that podcast, or pushes him on an Osprey. I think the very least you can say is that, you know, at least it's not being hid from, like it seems to be, like JP mm. said there, from with, uh, with some other promotions. Yeah, and I think this is one of the things where, again, I think we touched upon it last week, and I think there's that element of difficulty because, um, because obviously it's so raw and obviously it's something that we're so passionate about and, again, so disgusted in, as I said last week, and you are so eager for change or you're so eager for the people to be saying things that, you know, you, you, you know the promoters themselves are, are ones that, you know, definitely have been put up there, that people have been looking to get that element of feedback from. And, you know, you've kind of almost got that element of if, you, if, you, if you're saying nothing, there's the perception that you're doing nothing, kind mm. of, and then it's almost like that the silence is incriminating but then equally you can come out and you can talk too quickly or your actions haven't been thought out properly but you're almost you, you want to get ahead of it or you want to you, you know you, you you're panicking almost to demonstrate that you are doing something and and maybe that's not necessarily right or it's not been thought out as correctly or it's you know it's not been implemented as you would want to do and then that can kind of turn around and and, and bite you in the foot as well with with, with equal measure it's it, it's such a tricky thing you know i think uh, again don't want to go over the ground that referenced last week but i think the most important thing for me is there is that there is this dialogue happening and things are being said and i think we just have to allow that dialogue to to happen and as much as um i don't know we can we can look at the platforms that people are using we can look at the ways that they're doing it and things but as long as it's on the table and we can see that change is hopefully happening and positive change is hopefully happening as a, as, as a back of it on the back of it then then that's got to be got to be great i think you know an issue i have is where i hear things like things are happening in the background and kind of this part of you that thinks okay, well, that's good, and but then I don't know who's involved. I don't know what's happening in the background. I don't know if the people who are doing things in the background are the right people to be doing things in the background. And there's an element of me that thinks, oh, well, you know, these people are closer to it than I am, and these people are people who have been involved and things like that. So I suppose I should have a an element of... I don't know, trust, positivity kind of thing, that, 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 that there is going to be change there. But then equally, there's been nothing to suggest that we can give people the benefit of the doubt over the that's last true. sort of five to six weeks either kind of thing and i, I think i think that's that, that that's one of the difficult places for me so i don't know looking at the andy quilden thing in in in, in isolation for me i mean yeah i haven't listened to the interview so i can't comment on on that and no offense will but it's just four and a half hours is far too long for me to try and squeeze into into a, into a weekend um you know I'll hopefully get around to, to listen to it. But I mean, I taken it on that face value step back. I'm kind of the same as you like Benno in that I'm pleased that Andy Quilden's talking about it. Um, I'm pleased that he's getting, you know, putting his opinion out there on the, on the table and hopefully he's talking about the actions that they are taking and doing, doing things. But I almost feel like it's weird because I feel like at, at first I thought they read proactive quite quickly. They put a statement out after the speaking out movement started relatively quickly and people were sort of positive about them. It, they, you know, they did a great move and, you know, they got away from David Starr very quickly, stripped that title. You know, they, you know, he separated the, the other Andy from the training school and things like that. And it felt quite positive. I felt the moves that Rivpro were making and, and, 
And but then I almost feel like it's only since Andy Quillen started to talk. Obviously, he did his pre-designated thing behind the paywall, which was a bad move and not well received. And then he subsequently come out and said, "I'm happy to appear on anyone's podcasts." And the result of that has largely been negative. I, I think it's fair to say in terms of the platform that he's first gone out with and some of the content that, again, admittedly, I haven't heard. So I don't know that <sighs> it kind of sort of, it's almost the perfect example of what was referenced previously of wanting people to talk, but then but then when they do, they're, are they equipped? Have they got the right, have the plans been put in place correctly? Are they saying the right things? Do they know what they should be doing? Etc. So I don't know. This is this is where I have a, a a big difficulty in in it. Really, is that I'm just you kind of conscious that change needs to happen. Change is happening, but then a lot of things seem to go wrong at every turn. No matter what people do, if they speak or they don't, kind of thing. I think I think that's where I'm struggling. Totally. Yeah. It's you know, and we're supposed to on BWB be doing like a follow up Q and A with Andy, like with fan questions. Frankly, I don't know if we're going to do it at this point. Like, I don't know whether he's going to want to do it. I think he does. I don't know if we're going to want to do it. I don't know if it's the right thing to do, to be honest. Like, I don't know. Do people want to hear, like, four men talk more about this issue? Like, that's the the reaction to the, the, the Andy podcast that I'm getting is that people don't. Um, but I do think he should be held to account. You know, I, I suppose I, I, just thinking out loud, like, if there's anybody who wants to use our platform to speak to, Andy Quilman and interview him and push him in a way that maybe they think Will didn't. Yeah. You know, you can. Um, maybe we should put that in motion, JP, see if there's anyone we can speak to. Yeah, yeah. That. But is anybody wanting to do that? I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it, the fallout of the podcast, so what Gareth said, yeah, it, it did. I don't know. I, I felt, I was surprised, to be honest, that, that, that there was the, the, neg- the strength of the negative feeling coming out of the podcast. Um, even existing in the first place um, but maybe I'm wrong um, maybe it shouldn't have taken place, maybe we, we shouldn't do that Q&A maybe Andy Gwilden shouldn't have yeah. done an interview in the first place maybe he needs to put more statements out on Twitter which are, you know might satisfy you know people to have because it is, it, it's a four and a half hour podcast like Gareth said so like most people aren't going to listen to it are they and I think uh, at least some kind of reasonable summary from from Quilden and what he's doing about the individual cases and what he's planning on mm. doing about the overall. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that would be worthwhile. Um, but yeah, if you ask me now, I actually don't know uh, what will come next and whether that, uh, that Q&A will even take place, such as kind of the mm. uh, where we are at with the, uh, with the discourse on this one. I just, I, I, I just don't know what else he can... I mean, what else can he can he say? I, th- I, th- I think I right now, what, what 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 you're looking for, or what I'm looking for, and I understand that it's difficult, and I understand that these people are like circumnavigating a situation that they've never had to deal with before. But I just want people to just demonstrate enough to show us as fans, as people who've spent hundreds and thousands of pounds between mm. us uh, over the years that they are actually genuinely committed to driving change and being clear and not just some sort of social media lip service or podcast interview lip service that they're they are actually genuinely committed to doing that and 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 driving this change and having a very clear collective consolidated plan in place mm. for them to to get there but equally 
like I said last week, change doesn't happen in a click of a fingers or overnight. And I think we have to give them the space as well to a certain degree mm. while still scrutinizing them for certain elements to, to do that. But, you know, I think, I, I think for me it's just, it's demonstrating that genuine commitment that something is truly happening because that's what it's going to take for me to get behind and support some of these promotions again and if it's a pathway that's going to take six eight twelve months to get there two years to get there as long as i can see that they've got something in place that they're doing to get to that point then you know that's that visibility that transparency that clarity that's what i that's what i need to see i I don't think i need to hear a promoter talk about things for another two hours three hours personally i think i I think it's time i think it's time to put up or shut up almost kind of thing it is you know show us show us what you're doing and, and 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 break down the old walls the, the only issue we've had on the transparency front, though, as soon as people start to go, well, can you be transparent? It's like the response is, oh, fuck off, Mark. Yeah. That's where they kind of want to go yeah. to straight away. Get fuck off, Twitter Mark. Mob. Yeah, all that. That's the instinctive response of a lot of promoters. And I think at times it's, yeah, like you say, it's just trying to kind of, it's seeing stuff actually happening, but it's also updating us. Don't use this like it's a hook for an angle in a TV show mm. on a wrestling show where it's like, we'll tell you what's happening, but we'll tell you next week. It's like, no fucker, please give us some actual detailed information. Otherwise you're not, I'm, you're not getting my custom. That's how this, that's how this, that's how it works. And that's how it's going to, that's where the kind of, you know, tangible fan reaction is going to be. And, and, and for me, rather than it being a case of kind of, he's a Twitter you know, he's he, he's a statement on, on on notes about what we're doing that we're releasing on Twitter, or he's some statement on a on a podcast or something. For me, if it's and, and instead of rushing and panicking to get something out and then that having a million holes in it that that, that then drags them down. If it is, we're currently got a action group together that involves this person, this person, this person. We're working together, and by the thirty first of August, we're going to release a policy that demonstrates this then fine, you're putting the time in it, you're putting the people in it, you've got the structure in it, you're organising it properly, and you're giving us as fans that transparency that something is happening, you're giving yourself a deadline or something like that of, of when, when it's going to be more clear so you're not putting too much pressure on yourself, but you're keeping us in the loop that something's happening. And then that's that's the way that, that that's the way it should work, not just like shitting your pants and throwing out some statement that you haven't thought about for five minutes and... Than, than biting you on the ass three hours later that you then have to go back on, which ultimately just gives people less trust in you as both an organisation and individuals. And, and I think, again, that, that, that trust word again kind of coming up, that's what we're all looking for at the minute, trust, trust in people and trust that they're actually pushing things forward in the way that they should be to, to, to you know improve the situation going forward. I was very quickly going to say a good example of this is some of the documentations, a promotion that hasn't even run a show yet has put up, a promotion called Riot Cabaret that yeah. we're going to be running near, running near Marlebone. And it was in the kind of theatre space. It's that kind of crossover, the kind of performance stuff. And it's very clear that they're using the kind of expertise they've got within necessarily within theatre to put together good, substantial, safeguarding code of conduct policies and things like that together. And that's on the Riot Cabaret website. Now, obviously, when they run that show, is is going to be there. But if you want to see just an example of of say how some of this actually looks in practice, 
I'd suggest having a look on their website. Definitely. Um, okay, well, for something we weren't going to talk about, we've uh, <laughs> talked about <laughs> a bit of detail there. Um, anything else you guys want to cover before we go? Um, Related-wise, unrelated-wise? Oh, do we have any plugs? Do we want to mention something that might be coming up on, uh, on Grapple soon, Gareth? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, just... Um... Just something to just keep your eye on. Um, just been the uh, liaison with Grey Dog Software recently, who who make the TW game that you, you may have uh, tuned into Benno's uh, Twitch stream oh, yes. and watched watched his watched his AW game. Um, Clicking buttons. Where, <laughs> We're going to be um, we're we're going to be um, offering the, the the game through the the Grapple website, and it's um, obviously you know the the Grapple app itself, something that's free and a lot of work that goes into, and just as different ways of, of supporting Grapple. Um, just looking to to partner with them so that if anybody is looking to download that game in the future, being able to order it through Grapple, and hopefully we get a a, a nice little kick back on the back of that just to, to help keep the lights on at uh, Grapple Towers and keep things moving forward but hopefully as, as part of that as well we're going to be running a few competitions and things having a few giveaways and hopefully being able to offer a few discounts and things like that in the future so um, I'll be probably putting a bit more information about that out on Twitter probably over the next week or two it'll be up on the, the website as well so mm. and no doubt I'll uh, email the uh, email the uh, Grapple database as well to let them know about that one. So, oh, yeah. so keep your eyes peeled on that. Oh, um, I was going to say, like, b- before we go for it, like, I was going to say, like, Joe disappears, JP, for a couple of weeks, g- goes off on holiday. <laughs> yeah. And Grid of Software have taken over Grapple. Uh, the TW streams, they've got to, I, I feel like with this news, they've got to come back, JP. We talked a little bit out off air. Like, we've both, both been slacking a little bit. Um, obviously, I kind of didn't really. Wasn't up to it like a few weeks ago with everything breaking and uh, my AW save including a couple of problematic people. Um, obviously, your save included a lot of problematic people. Uh, <laughs> but mm. <laughs> on a lighter note, like we we have been talking about, like maybe maybe starting those things up again in uh, in conjunction with uh, with that news Garrett mentioned there, and you know to whet people's appetite. So we were looking into maybe possible two player games. I don't know. You know we, haven't really, yeah. we haven't nailed down a year, have we, JP? But I feel like there could be scope there for a bit of a WCW versus WWF action. Uh, I assume I'll end up WWF, but. That could be fun. I'm really hoping so for that. There's a good chance as well we've spoken about. We're not going to go into detail now. Just little ways we'd like to rewrite history, potentially, mm. that mm. we could see ourselves doing in a... Um, I'm trying to think of in a, in a What would be a good bird? A good Back to the Future type way, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah, put things With right Hogan up. maybe as Biff Tannen. <laughs> <laughs> he fits, to be fair. Yeah, we'll... Uh... In my version, he puts over Canyon clean after a really good feud and some emotional promos. Oh, that's good. I think I'll mostly enjoy if we do it, JP. I'm just going to steal a load of your talent, to be honest. I think that's uh, that's going to be the yeah. most fun. We'll do like maybe we could do Monday Night Wars. Maybe that'll be a good era to do. In, in uh, fairness, WCW had plenty of talent. I was going to say, you're going to have a lot more money than me, though, as well. So maybe that's not a good idea. Oh, yeah. All the ideas are coming out now. That, that'll be fun. That I've never really done a two player game on TW, so. Yeah, I think that'd be a good way to tie into that uh, that potential uh, partnership with uh, with Grey Dog Software. Definitely. Yeah, no, I think, I think, yep, definitely. It's a, it's it's one of those if you, uh, you follow that and uh, follow JP and Benno if they get that up and going and play along with that, and you think, um, yeah, fancy having a, a shot at this myself. Well, we're going to be providing the perfect outlet for you to uh, buy that game. So uh, yeah. uh, 
keep your keep your eyes peeled and just on other sort of plugs or not really is just obviously just uh, follow uh, follow grapple app um there's um you know that that's generally where we communicate a lot of the different things that we've uh, that we've got going on um obviously communicating a lot of things as well from the from the data so if you've heard things that i've referenced to night around you know lists and things like that you know i'm always throwing out the odd thing here of your your top sleeper matches of the last few months or the top five wrestlers of the year so far and things like that so if the, that kind of things you think give us a give us a follow on the uh, on the on the follow it uh, at grapple app uh, that'd be that'd be great awesome and uh yeah uh, jp do you want to throw one more plug in for your uh for your podcast coming later yeah. this week Got another roundtable coming up on uh, recording this Friday night. It should be out at some point, hopefully, on, on early Saturday. Um, and it's just looking at sort of New Japan in a lot of detail. Um, it won't really be my opinions necessarily getting on it. You've had them earlier on tonight, so don't be greedy. You want them twice in a week. Um, but, like, yeah, really excited. Um, looking forward to having um, Sarah, Stefan listen on the show. Yeah, excited to hear it. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, follow JP on Twitter at JPGP. Follow me at Benson Richard E. Follow the Grapple app at Grapple app and follow Gareth at Grapple Gareth. Gareth, nice one for, for joining us again. But in the meantime, that's it for us for another show. We'll see you soon. Bye. See ya. 